Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the Character and Smallman Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on a Monday on 101 ESPN at 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman is here. Matt Rocchio, our new producer, is here in the building and in the house. Excited to have Matt with us, and it's great to have you with us. Michelle, good morning. How was your weekend? Ooh, Randy, what an awesome weekend of sports. It was. Billikens with a big 90-59 <laughs> win over UMass last That's night. That's right, and we're both celebrating with our gear. We're both wearing <laughs> Billikens gear today. But I, I'm exhausted from a weekend of sitting around doing nothing other than watching sports. It's amazing. But every single game, whether it was the Blues or the NFL games that you watch college basketball, I was so emotionally invested in every game for one reason or another that I'm pooped. It's a great thing about sports. It wears you out, even though you're just sitting on a couch. <laughs> but wow. I mean, is this the best weekend of NFL playoff games that we've seen maybe ever? I think it has to be. I can't imagine. Well, there's no way it could be any better. You had... Four games decided by a total of 15 points. Three, 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 and then six in overtime. It was incredible. And we're going to get into all of that. But the Blues, too, continue to roll. A dominant 5 nothing win at Seattle on Friday night. And then last night, happening overnight, your St. Louis Blues with another victory over uh, a Canucks team that is just a mess right now because of COVID. They've got, like, uh, I think on their 22-man roster, something like 19 have COVID. Yeah, it was, it was not... Um a team that was coming at the Blues full steam. No, it was not. And Vancouver actually scored first. Tanner Pearson scoring at the 16:30 mark of the first period for Vancouver. Justin Falk responds for the Blues two minutes later, but in the second period at the 3:26 plateau. Here's Tarasenko again. Centers a score. Braden Shen was in front. I believe he got a stick on it, and the Blues with a power play goal have taken a two-to-one lead. 16:34 to play, second period. And then at the 16:43 mark, Jordan Cairo did it again. Jordan Cairo, Cairo off to Tarasenko to Cairo. He shoots, he scores. With a screen in front of Di Pietro, Cairo lets it fly from out high. Three to one, St. Louis. Three seen to go, second period. How fun is this team? They find ways to win every game, Randy. They win at home. They're nails at home. They win on the road. They win when a bunch of guys are out. They win when they have all of their stars there. They win with veteran guys. They win with young guys. They win against better teams than them or at least equal teams than them. And they don't drop their level of play against teams that are lesser than them either. There's not a big glaring hole with this Blues team. I truly think that they could beat anybody, and they're very fun to watch. It was interesting. Bruce Boudreau, the Canucks coach, said, in preparing for the game and watching the Blues, he thinks they're the best team in the National Hockey League. And Colorado has played two fewer games. They have four points over the Blues. But you get to playoff time, and the Blues, again, are built for the playoffs. A 3-1 victory last night, and the Blues have one more. They'll play Calgary tonight before taking on Calgary here on Friday, and then, or on Thursday, and then on Saturday they take on Winnipeg, and then you go to the All-Star break. 
isn't it hard to believe that we're just now approaching the All-Star break with everything that's happened in the NHL and with the Blues specifically? Doesn't doesn't it feel like the playoffs should be right around the corner? It does. But, Michelle, last night was the midpoint of the season. That's outrageous. Last night was game number 41. It does not feel that way. <laughs> no, it seems like it's been a lot longer than that. What a wild and crazy NFL weekend. And we were talking about it before we came on the air. And uh, right off the top here, greatest weekend of NFL games ever. I think it has to be because there wasn't a snoozer. Everything was great. If you were going to pick a snoozer, and I don't even think it it was a snoozer at all, it would be Packers 49ers just because Mm -hmm. it was low scoring and there wasn't a ton of action. But that wasn't a snoozer by any means. It was a nail biter. Saturday afternoon, the opener, Ryan Tannehill's third interception of the game by Logan Wilson set up Joe Burrow for the game-winning drive. Evan McPherson's fourth field goal of the game, a 52-yarder, wins it with 20 seconds left. And that was the only game that had the last score come with any time at all on the clock. Joe Burrow is just an absolute winner. I mean, you know mm-hmm. that that I love him. I th- I just think that he is such a stud. But the way that he has changed the identity of the Cincinnati Bengals, not only internally with the way that they believe in the- themselves, but the way that we're seeing results on the field and the way nationally we're looking at that franchise has been remarkable. And we both had Ryan Tannehill at number seven in our freakout factor, and he freaked out. Yes, he did. Not great for the Titans, and you don't get many opportunities. Bengals win in 1916. Then on Saturday night, what a game. San Francisco tying it with 4.41 to go on a blocked punt for a touchdown by <laughs> Telona Hufnega. After the Packers went three and out, Jimmy G driving the 49ers 44 yards in nine plays to set up Robbie Gold's game-winning 45-yard field goal. It was unbelievable. Aaron Rodgers, another early exit, another season that's gone by where he's played at an MVP level and he's not in the Super Bowl. And this one a little different with his future in limbo. And... After the first drive, the opening drive, when he drove them to an easy touchdown, it was like a hot knife through butter on that opening <laughs> drive. Was. And you're thinking, oh, well, this is going to be a blowout for the Packers. And they didn't score another touchdown. No, they didn't. And Aaron Rodgers, as when we talked about our freakout factor, was not number one on that list, uh, despite the fact that he was the MVP throughout mm-hmm. the season. When you look at his postseason numbers, he I think I had him at number four, number five. Right. And I had him at number two. Y- it's unreal. It's unreal. Aaron Rodgers with another early postseason exit. And you have to wonder what the Packers are going to look like heading into next yeah. season. They're almost $50 million over the salary cap. Oof. All right, Michelle, yesterday, the early game, the Rams over the Bucks, 30 to 27. On our uh, show plan here, we put a description of every game, and I want you to read the description of the Rams-Buccaneers uh, game. It's a Sunday, Rams 30, Buccaneers 27, barf. <laughs> That's our description. You know what? I am so annoyed, I can't even tell you. <laughs> I had a whole tweet lined up about the goat. There were so many goat emojis I was going to throw around. And you knew Tom Brady was going to bring them back. Even mm-hmm. when it looked like the Rams were, were absolutely dominating the Bucks. I just knew that that was not going to be the final word from Tom Brady. But you know what? I wish the Bucks defense would have taken that same approach that they needed to have a goat mentality. How do you leave Cooper Cup that open? Of all things. Of all people, double, triple team him. Make someone else beat you. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And I told you on Friday, I was worried about the Rams, but I wasn't, I didn't think if the Rams won that it would be 30 to 27. I figured that it would be a low scoring game that, and Aaron Donald did dominate. Yeah. But I, I thought that Brady wouldn't be able to get anything accomplished, and he really didn't until the fourth quarter, but he did his thing. But 
I, I hate to give credit to Matthew Stafford. We've seen it before when he was in Detroit. People, you give him an opportunity with 102 to go, and you leave his best wide receiver, the best wide receiver in the league wide open, those sorts of things are going to happen. True. And we talked about the Rams the week prior. Arizona just looked completely lost. They looked completely overwhelmed. They looked like they Mm -hmm. were scared to death to be on that stage. And we wondered if the Rams were really that good or if Arizona just made them look that good because they seemed to not match the moment. But that was at least in my opinion, a legacy-altering drive from Matthew Stafford. Yeah. A guy who you had questions about coming into the postseason, a guy who has a propensity to turn it over in the big moment. He a was guy, our big freak-out factor guy. He, Both of us had yes. him as the, at the top of the list to freak out. And you know what? When he goes toe-to-toe with Tom Brady and when the seconds are waning, he's the one that steps up and delivers perfect strikes to get it done. You have to tip your cap to Matthew Stafford. And then one of the most amazing games in the history of the league. 25 points scored in the last 154 of regulation between the Chiefs and the Bills. Gabriel Davis, a 27-yard touchdown reception with 154 to go. That was his third of the game. Tyreek Hill, a 64-yard catch and run with 113 to go. Davis, a 19-yard catch with 13 seconds left. And I said to my wife, with 13 seconds left, I said, you know, Mahomes might be able to do this. Three timeouts in 13 seconds. The Bills decide to not squib kick. And Harrison Butker hits a 49-yard field goal to send the game to overtime. And then Kansas City wins the toss and takes the ball. Josh Allen waiting on the sidelines, desperate for a chance. First and goal at the eight. Mahomes gets the shotgun snap. Pumps, throws for the end zone to Kelsey, adjusting, makes the catch, touchdown! Travis Kelsey with a touchdown in the back right corner of the end zone. Kansas City wins it, 42-36 in overtime. And the Chiefs will host their fourth straight AFC Championship game for the first time in NFL history. A team will host a championship game for the fourth straight year. That team is the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs and the Bengals play for a trip to the Super Bowl next week, right here in Arrowhead, 42-36. Chiefs win it in overtime. Now, Michelle, here's a little perspective for you. On Saturday night in a win, Jimmy Garoppolo of the 49ers goes 11 of 19 for 131 yards in the game in all four quarters. Patrick Mahomes in the fourth quarter in overtime goes 11 of 16 for 195 and two touchdowns. So Garoppolo, 11 of 19 for 131. Mahomes, 11 of 16 for 195. Garoppolo does it in four quarters. Mahomes does it in... For the fourth quarter and overtime, Travis Kelsey with the winner. And again, and it's harder against Kansas City because it's both Hill and Kelsey. But that 13-second drive, the two plays from the 25, was unbelievable. Yeah, you would think 13 seconds is not enough time for anyone. But, oh, yes, we forget about Patrick Mahomes. It's Mm -hmm. enough time for Patrick Mahomes. Randy, the last two minutes of regulation in that game, there were three lead changes, one tie. There was 25 points scored in the last two minutes. And Allen and Mahomes combined for three touchdown passes and 222 passing yards in the last two minutes of regulation. And I... 
hate the NFL overtime rules. I think we were absolutely robbed. Josh mm-hmm. Allen should have gotten a chance to answer back. We were robbed as fans because it felt so anticlimactic. The only people feeling great about the end of that game this morning are Chiefs fans. If Buffalo got the ball and they got the chance, they would have scored and won the game. It was it was just who's going to win the toss and a game that epic should not be decided by, by chance. And at the NFL owners meetings in 2019, it was the Chiefs who proposed that teams in overtime in the playoffs be guaranteed a a possession and there wasn't enough support among ownership to even bring it to a vote and the Chiefs are the team that wanted it because of what happened to them against the Patriots Mm -hmm. they didn't get to see the ball in overtime and so now the Chiefs take advantage of that Andy Reid his post-game press conference you still have time to get the field goal but it looks pretty grim there what you have any special advice to Pat right there do you have any words for him at that point when Buffalo took the lead for the last time yeah, when it's grim, be the grim reaper. <laughs> when it's grim, be the grim reaper. What? And Patrick Mahomes was. What a line. <laughs> and how many guys can actually go out and execute in that moment? Yeah. It's very few. My heart breaks, breaks, shatters for Bills Mafia. You should not lose a game like that when your quarterback perfect. plays absolutely perfect. Josh Allen played like a whole ass man. He mm-hmm. is on an elite level. He is a tier one quarterback. You have to feel great about your future if you're the Bills. But to lose that game, I just feel so heartbroken for that fan base. They deserve more. So next week on Sunday, the early game will be Cincinnati at Kansas City. And then the late game, the NFC Championship at SoFi, the Niners visiting the Los Angeles Rams. So we need the Italian style and Jimmy Garoppolo, Garoppolo, the Italian style, excuse me, and Joe Joe Cool. They are our chances to save America from the Mahomes family and from the Rams. I I wonder who's beaten Kansas City. (laughs) Although I wondered that last year and Brady did, but Kansas City, pretty darn good. Although you have to cover Cooper Cup. (laughs) That would be step one. Um, I'm also very concerned about Joe Burrow's well-being, night sacks. Yeah. I mean, I am. I was about ready to dress up and go protect him, Randy. I, I am concerned about well, him. <laughs> against really... that group of receivers that they have with, uh, obviously, Jamar Chase and, uh, and Higgins and Boyd and Uzoma, I'll tell you what, uh, the Honey Badger better be healthy for Kansas City because if he's not, that'll that's one of the big reasons that Buffalo was able to accomplish what they did last night. The, mm-hmm. the middle of the field was wide open. For sure. College basketball this weekend on Friday night, Illinois falls to Maryland, 81-65. Didn't have the big guy. When you don't have the big guy, you're going to scuffle, right? Yeah, always, of course. The Illini now 13-6 and six overall, 6-2 six and two in the conference. Saturday, the Tigers have a 10-point lead over Alabama with 9.22 to go, but then Alabama takes off and they win it 86-76. to 76. Kobe Brown, 3 of 13 for 6 for the Tigers who are now 8-10 and 10 overall, 2-4 and four in the SEC. And yesterday at Chaffetz Arena, big game Gibby Jim. Gibson Jimerson with a 31-point performance, the high of his career, a 90-59 to 59 route of UMass by the Billikens, who, by the way, three days earlier had lost to UMass at UMass. Let's go Bills. Yeah, so uh, the, the Billikens back in action sat, uh, Wednesday night over at Chaffetz Arena. All right, we're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Start one, bench one, cut one on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
It's time for Start One, Bench One, Cut One on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle is here. Matt is here. I'm Randy. And Michelle, I will get things started. Start One, Bench One, Cut One in their prime. Patrick Mahomes, Brett Favre, Peyton Manning. Ooh, good one. Gosh. Okay, Mahomes, Favre, Manning. I'm going to leave uh, Brady out of this because he's got the seven Super Bowls. Yeah, okay. Seems fair. Each of these guys have, well, Manning. In their prime, you said. In their prime. Yep. Okay. I want to start Peyton Manning, but I'm having a hard time not starting Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm having a really, really hard time not starting Patrick Mahomes. And no disrespect to Brett Favre, but I'm going to cut him. So, um... Gosh, Manning was just so cerebral. But Patrick Mahomes is a wizard, and we just saw him with 13 seconds left win a playoff game. And maybe it's recency bias, but I have a really hard time not picking Patrick Mahomes. So I'm going to start Patrick Mahomes, bench Peyton Manning, and cut Brett Favre. I think we have a tendency to forget how spectacular Brett Favre was. So tough, too. And I think when you went into a game, if everything else sucked in the game— He was the guy that gave your team a chance to win. And I think that Patrick Mahomes is the closest thing to that. That if if your defense is bad and your receivers aren't good and your offensive line is banged up, Favre, Mahomes, Mahomes, Favre. I don't think Peyton Manning was in that situation, although he did win a Super Bowl with the 32nd-ranked defense and a bad offensive line. So I I guess I shouldn't. And he he elevated players like nobody else. I... I'm actually going to start Patrick Mahomes here. And because Peyton Manning didn't throw interceptions and Brett Favre did, I'm going to bench Peyton Manning and I'm going to cut Brett Favre. So we have the same. Yep. Wow. It's that's crazy that we feel that strongly about Patrick Mahomes, but he's the first guy ever to lead his team to four consecutive AFC championship games at home. And could have gone to the Super Bowl. Yeah. All four years. All four years. Okay, Randy, one weapon from this season's playoffs, Mm -hmm. totally healthy, 100% healthy. Who do you want? Start one, bench one, cut one. Cooper Cup, Derrick Henry, Jamar Chase. All right. This, the start for me is easy. It's Jamar Chase. He's unbelievable. I have to go with Cooper Cup as much as I hate to because he's a Ram. And I do think that running backs in this day and age, you love to have them, but you don't win games because of running backs. You win games now because of the passing game. So I'm going to have to cut Henry. I'm going to I'm going to start Jamar Chase. I'm going to bench uh, Cooper Cup, and I'm going to cut Derrick Henry. How about you? I'm also cutting King Henry, which is crazy because we we see how dominant he mm-hmm. can be when completely healthy. Randy, I might have to start Cooper Cup, and it pains me to do it. It absolutely pains me to do it, but he's unstoppable. Yeah, he you is. can make the argument that he's the M- MVP. I mean, yep. he has had an unbelievable season, which is why I can't believe if you're the Bucks that that you leave him that open. Or maybe that wasn't even the game plan, and he just burned you. Well, in the first touchdown, too, the 70-yarder. Yes, that's right. So I think I'm going to have to start Cooper Cup. No disrespect to Jamar Chase, because I think he's exceptional, and cut Derrick Henry, but... Man, he's good. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. If Jamar Chase played for the Rams and Cooper Cup played for the Bengals, I'd start Cooper Cup. <laughs> yeah, big time. Yeah, Cooper Cup's a bad guy. He really is really good. Shave the beard. 
you know, the beard is a little wiry. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't seem to fit his face. It almost looks like he was in a, a play or a production <laughs> it and it was glued on his face. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't match him, which is weird. Yep. All right. Uh, to your text, 65780, Matt Rocchio making his Character and Smallman debut. Good to have you with us. Great to be here, guys. There so you go. excited. You're sounding great. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, take all it right, away. Go to the, all right, start a franchise. Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes, Joe Burrows. Start one, Benjamin, cut one. Oh, That's man. a really tough one. You know what's funny, Randy? Maybe it's because I'm completely numb to the greatness of Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. We've just seen it so many times. Mm-hmm. I left that game last night being more impressed with Josh Allen than anybody on the field. Dan Deardorff said last week if he was starting a team, he'd take Josh Allen. I think I might have to do it, too, even though we just saw Patrick Mahomes with 13 seconds left win an epic shootout. Yeah. So it seems crazy to not take Patrick Mahomes. But again, maybe it's because we're conditioned to his greatness. And it was we've seen Josh Allen be great this season and great these playoffs. But I might have to start start Josh Allen. So then who you benching cutting? Oh, this is painful, but I'm going to bench Patrick Mahomes and I'm going to cut Joe Burrow, even though you know he's my guy. I've seen Patrick Mahomes in a couple of Super Bowls, and I keep seeing him get away from pressure. And so so because of the fact that I've seen him in Super Bowls and he did make the plays last night, again, recency bias and historical bias, I'm going to start Mahomes. I am going to bench Allen, and I am going to reluctantly cut Joe Burrow, too. If Joe Burrow gets an offensive line, though, he can beat Tom Brady. Yes, he can. Start one, bench one, cut one. The Packers special teams, the Bengals offensive line, Buffalo Bills playoff luck. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I am going to cut the Bengals offensive line because, again, I am concerned for Joe Burrow's well-being. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't look like the ACL has given him any trouble, but I certainly hold my breath every time he's sacked yes, and he well, stands up. Yep. <laughs> he stands up. I am going to bench the Packers special teams and surprisingly I'm going to start the Bills playoff luck because last night had nothing to do with bad omens and after the Blues have won I don't necessarily believe in curses anymore I mean the Cubs won for crying out loud so I think if any of these things can be overcome it's the Bills playoff luck with with Josh Allen under center they got a good shot yeah I I'm with you on the Bills luck I'm going to I'm going to cut that um I I think the one, th- the only thing preventing the Bengals from going to the Super Bowl now is their offensive line. Uh, so uh, this, we could do this in in many orders. All right. So what I am going to keep because I don't think luck had anything to do with the results for the Bengals. I'm going to keep the Bills' luck or the the Bills. I mean, I am going to bench the Bengals' offensive line and I'm going to cut the Packers' special teams. They were, it cost him. Yeah, not good. All right, start one, bench one, cut one, the Major League Baseball playoffs, NHL playoffs, or NFL playoffs. I was thinking about it last night, and we've seen some dramatic moments in MLB postseason games. I mean, we lived one of the greatest, if not mm-hmm. the greatest, World Series game ever. But the amount of action that you see in the NHL playoffs and in Stanley Cup final and then the NFL playoffs and in the Super Bowl, baseball can't touch it. I was thinking about that last night. It's just a different pace. We are used to immediate results and drama and you get that sometimes with baseball, but not really for the entirety of the game. So I'm cutting MLB. 
I'm going to bench NFL, and I'm going to start NHL. I'm going to do the exact same thing. And we have a total recency bias here because these this was the best playoff weekend in history. True. It, it was very exciting, and that's why it would be very easy to take the NFL. But this was the aberration. The intensity and the closeness of NHL games on a consistent basis is unmatched. There's nothing like the Stanley Cup playoffs. So I'm like you, Michelle. I'm going to start the NHL. I'm going to bench the NFL, and I'm going to cut MLB. I personally love the lifestyle one. So start one, bench one, cut one, St. Louis food edition, Ooh. toasted ravioli, okay. Emo's pizza, mozzarella sticks. Well, you could have found maybe a better third one. I was going to say, are mozzarella sticks indigenous to St. Louis? I said we put in the St. Saint, uh, Saint Paul sandwich in there instead. As I, a third, as I've the third never one. had that. Gooey I don't even know cake. what that is. Gooey butter cake's better. What's a St. Paul sandwich? It's a Chinese food uh, thing. It's never like, had yeah, it. It's, oh it's my a St. Louis only thing. Where do where do I procure one? Any St. Louis ta- Chinese takeout restaurant will have it. Okay, okay. Any proper St. Louis yeah, Chinese mozzarella takeout sticks. Restaurant. That just feels like an American. Thing. I say I okay. say we maybe edit it with a we gooey butter cake. Okay. okay, okay. So Emo's pizza, toasted ravioli, gooey butter cake. Start one, bench one, cut one. Randy, would you like to go first? I will go first. Uh, I am going to start Emo's pizza. I am going to. Bench toasted rav, and I am going to reluctantly cut gooey butter cake. Wow. I have to live without it. I'm surprised at this order. Um, I'm starting toasted ravs because I feel like when you talk about St. Louis foods that mm-hmm. are special to our region, that's the first thing that comes up. And I can slam like 20 of them. <laughs> um, and I've never had a bad toasted rav. Have you guys? No, no. I don't care what the filling is. As long as they've got meat in it. That's I don't, right. Cheese ones don't thrill me. I don't love a cheese one either. I'm talking strictly yeah. meat toasted ravs. So I'm going to start Toasted Ravs. By the way, if you ever go to Candice's, the uh, spinach artichoke Toasted Rav. Oh, mm, fantastic. Never, never had it, but I am interested. Great. I'm definitely interested. I'm going to bench a gooey butter cake because it's spectacular and it's very unique. And I'm going to cut Emo's Pizza, even though I love the Square Beyond Compare. I can have other mm-hmm. great pizzas. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Fair you enough. Know? Yep. I'm good with that. Thank you, Matthew. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. Coming up next, we've got Four Downs with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time for Four Downs. Well, Michelle, how about the importance of special teams this weekend? Many coaches use their first period of practice on special teams. Dick Vermeil always did. And it showed this weekend that the teams that won were fine there. The Bengals were flawless. Rookie Evan McPherson, field goals of 38, 45, 54 in the game-winning 52-yard field goal. Their coverage units were terrific. They won the game. The Packers blew their game by allowing that blocked punt in the fourth quarter, but also two long kickoff returns against the blocked field goal at the end of the first half. And, of course, the block punt for the touchdown with 441 left to tie the game. Let's not forget that it was well below zero when Robbie Gold kicked that game-winning 45-yarder. He was ready, the Niners were ready, and they won it on special teams. The Bucks had a missed field goal that set L.A. up in good field position to get a field goal in the second quarter, and Tampa Bay allowed a 33-yard punt return in the third quarter that set up a Rams touchdown. Special teams, a difference in that one. And, of course, last night, you have special teams that are huge as Harrison Buckner. It's the game-tying field goal with no time left on the clock. All of these are three-point games. The most egregious thing of all, after the Bills had scored the touchdown to go ahead with 13 seconds left, 
They kicked it through the end zone rather than squib kick and forced KC re- to return it and take some seconds off the clock. Safe to argue that not kicking it along the ground costs the Bills the game. When it's this close, the little things make the difference. I still can't believe they didn't go with a squib kick I can't there. either. It's unbelievable. And maybe they're thinking 13 seconds. There's no way he can do it. But everyone at home is thinking 13 sec- seconds. If anyone can do it, it's Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. And he did do it. Take five seconds off the clock. But, you know, our uh, friend, former friend of the station, Johnny Hecker, used to say it. Punters are people, too. Kickers are important. Mm-hmm. Punters are people, too. Special teams, they matter. And former friend being the operative phrase there. We're so cool with Johnny Hecker. Are we? But I don't have beef with Johnny Hecker personally. I just don't like his laundry. <laughs> okay, that's cool. You know? the, the dingy white, especially. I can't believe that the Buccaneers didn't make, make the Rams wear the dingy white. The bone. Yeah. It's when they played Baltimore. I was listening at the beginning of the game to the Baltimore broadcast on the radio, and that's what they described it as. The the uh, Ravens wearing their purple today, the Rams wearing their dingy white. <laughs> it's a pretty appropriate description. <laughs> yeah, it is. Hopefully they wear that dingy white in the NFC Championship game. And, like, congrats to San Francisco, by the way, on a home game. Who would have thought? The sixth seed? Yeah. Home game, well, NFC Championship game? Shout out. Hear more about that in a moment. That's right. Four seconds to play, tied at 10. And here comes Robbie Gold, a 17-year veteran who last week against the Cowboys kicked field goals of 53, 40, and 52. But this is in the snow. This is in the wind. This is in Lambeau. 45-yard field goal. Near hash on the snowy grass. Four seconds to play in a tie game. Wisnowski will hold. Pepper the snap, high snap, put down, kick is up, and the kick is good! He got it! Clock at zero! San Francisco is one! San Francisco has stunned Green Bay! Randy, what a weird year for Aaron Rodgers. We talked about him wanting out of Green Bay. He skipped the Packers' mandatory mining camp. He beefed with the front office. We talked about his vacation in Hawaii with Shailene Woodley and Miles Teller. We talked a lot about his vaccination status or his immunization status, we should say. We talked about his toe, which he plopped up on a desk. We (laughs) talked about the beautiful mystery that is his future. But for someone who has been so private, he was brash, he was bold, he was outspoken. He didn't care what anyone thought this season he was different but the outcome was the same as you just heard he failed yet again to reach the big game in the super bowl the season all too familiar an mvp caliber regular season with an unsatisfying playoff exit the packers were 13 and 5 they were the nfc's top seed for the second straight season they're the only unbeaten team at home it was snowy it was cold at lambeau we thought that's exactly where they were going to stay as the 49ers had to come into lambeau but they ended up beating them, as you heard, with the Robbie Gold kick 13-10 to over the weekend. Green Bay once again not making the Super Bowl. They haven't made it there since that 2010 championship season. And you have to wonder, at 38, is this the end for Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay? It's hard to believe it would be the end for him completely after the MVP caliber season he's just had. But this is a guy who's proven if he's proven anything this season is that he's going to zag when everyone expects him to zig. But He's one of the most talented guys that we've ever seen play the quarterback position. And even despite that, his legacy is always going to be tinged with that what-if question. And, Michelle, this is a guy that when you get home field, 
in Green Bay, you're supposed to win the game. And we place way too much emphasis on the quarterback in the NFL. We tend to forget that there is the rest of the offense and the defense and the special teams, too. But in this situation, the fact that they lost that game was Aaron Rodgers' fault. And Aaron Rodgers didn't perform in the cold weather at Lambeau. That's why you want the home field advantage so a team like San Francisco can come in and be freezing and you're used to it. It looked like Aaron Rodgers was the guy that wasn't used to playing in cold weather on Saturday night. And when you look at the quarterbacks that win Super Bowls, it's aside from Tom Brady, it's a guy in his early 30s like Drew Drew Brees. It's a guy in his early 30s like Peyton Manning. I don't give Manning credit for his last one because that was their defense. That, that, That wasn't him. It's a guy in his 30s, early 30s like Kurt Warner. It's a, a guy in his early 30s like Ben Roethlisberger. You know, we talk about how great these quarterbacks have been well into their 30s, and they have been. But late in their careers, what did Eli and Roethlisberger and Rivers and Breeze and Peyton Manning do in terms of winning Super Bowls? They didn't. And I'm with you. I think that right now Aaron Rodgers is, at least in terms of playing in Green Bay, ready for the home game. But he needs to do what Brady did. He needs to go to a warm weather site. And, you know, for someone that we talk about with the chip on his shoulder, those type of things motivate him. Well, the team that didn't draft him, his hometown team that passed up on him, that mm-hmm. he said he would make them pay and make them regret not choosing him. Well, they're his kryptonite. Um, in the playoffs, Aaron Rodgers drops to 0-4 in his career against the 49ers. He's the first quarterback in NFL history to lose four playoff starts to a single opponent. Wow. That's a telling stat. So, and by the way, that team has beaten Rams six times in a row as well. And that brings us to Michelle. The Rams are trying to prevent out of town people from purchasing tickets for the NFC championship game. Here's what it says on their website. Important event info. Public sales to the game at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California will be restricted to residents of the greater Los Angeles region. Residency will be based on credit card billing address at checkout. Orders by residents outside of the greater Los Angeles region will be canceled without notice and refunds given. Okay, so now it's one thing to try to prevent out-of-town people from buying tickets. The Titans did it. Yeah. But it struck me. How the hell are tickets available? You have a market of 13 million people. You're in the NFC Championship game. Here in St. Louis, the games were sold out before the playoffs even started. How is it that in a town like that, they can't find 70,000 people from among 13.2 million that want to attend a game that'll decide whether the home team will be in the Super Bowl? What a bad football town that is. And and a Super Bowl that's in L.A. It's unbelievable how, how bad it is. And the fact that the tickets are available not from secondary sources but from the rams that's amazing to me that they didn't sell out before the playoffs even started and oh by the way you're being pretty stupid and disingenuous because you told us that the problem was ticket brokers bought up a bunch of your tickets ticket brokers aren't worried about selling to local people you sold most of your tickets to ticket brokers and 49er fans are going to buy them and you don't think that the 49er fans are going to find a way one, I mean, if anything, you're just setting yourself up for more embarrassment by trying to stop them when they inevitably are going to infiltrate the stadium anyway. I'm guessing that there are some 49er fans that have friends that live in the greater L.A. area. I would think so. <laughs> I would think so. And you know what? They probably are saying to them, hey, buy these tickets. I'll give you a little bit of extra on the side. You know that's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. No doubt. And I'm looking forward to Me it. Me too.
I had to save the best for last, Randy. You know my love for Joe Burrow. It's been well documented on this mm -hmm. show, okay? This guy is just a winner, and he did it yet again, leading the Cincinnati Bengals to the AFC Championship game, a 19-16 victory against the top-seeded Tennessee Titans with Derrick Henry back in the fold. It's the first time the Bengals are going to be there since 1988. It's their first time winning a road playoff game in team history. They were 0-7 in that scenario entering Saturday. But when Joe Burrow is your guy, your identity changes. The past doesn't matter. Post game, here's what Burrow said. I'm tired of the underdog narrative. We're a really, really good team, and we're here to make noise, and noise they did. Rookie Evan McPherson made a 52-yard field goal as time expired, and Burrow's confidence rubbed off on him. Oh, that guy's unbelievable. He said, so he was talking to Brandon as he was going out to kick. He gave a little warm-up swing, and he said, ah, it looks like we're going to the AFC Championship right before he went out there to kick it. <laughs> and that comes directly from Joe Burrow, who spoke to the team this weekend and said that we are not the underdog. It's our time. Everybody talking after the game about how Joe Burrow's confidence in this organization had led them to believe. And I got these stats from Peter Burns, our friends from mm -hmm. SEC Network, obviously color covered Burrow at, at LSU and Hembo, who's the great statistician from Get Up. So prior to his NFL career, Joe Burrow has played in six have-to-have-it games in his career, won all of them. We know that he had to win to get into this position, won that one. And by the way, he had 29 touchdowns, zero interceptions leading into that. And then he goes ahead and he wins this weekend. So eight times in his career when he's had to win, Joe Burrow has delivered. Wow. Randy, that guy is just a winner. I just hope that the noise that we're hearing that they appear to be making isn't the thud of defenders running into him. I am concerned. I am very concerned, but he's tough as nails. He's unbelievable. He's great. And I, I see more concern than he does, and he's the one getting sacked nine times. He is so easy to root for. He really is. And we, we mentioned it on Friday. He's changed the culture of an entire town. It's, it's one thing to change the culture of a football franchise. That town now is kind of puffing out their chest, Cincinnati is. And they're so much like us, a River City, two yes. teams with a new MLS team, so they'll be a, a three-team town. Cincinnati's a lot like us, except they have Skyline Chili. I guess a lot of people are down on Emos, too, right? People are down on Skyline yeah, Chili outside right. of Cincy. People are down on Emos outside of St. Louis. So we have a lot of similarities. So I root for them, and I root for them to have their hometown guy do what he does. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And their, their head coach, Zach Taylor, so likable, mm -hmm. giving the game ball to the fans. Jamar Chase is an easy guy to cheer for. They're just a fun team. But yep. I love what Joe yep. Burrow's done. That's four downs on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line. Take it or leave it coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Michelle, Randy, and Matt with you. Send your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, we talked about how if you're the Buccaneers yesterday, you have to cover 
Cooper Cup. The best receiver in the league this year. Most receptions, most yards, most touchdowns. But it wasn't always that easy for Cooper Cup. Back in college at Eastern Washington, he would go to Ruth's restaurant and there would be a special someone behind the counter waiting for him. It was his future wife, Anna. And mm. she was serving orders in styrofoam containers, working her first job. She said, quote, I supported us monetarily through college. Cooper's goals pertain to football. And after a summer of morning workouts and then an afternoon landscaping gig, he said he felt exhausted when the season rolled around so so that he could concentrate on football in school. She supported them. Oh, nice. Take it or leave it. After being the triple crown winner among receivers in the NFL in Los Angeles this year, Cooper dumps Anna. Oh, I'm going to leave that. You're going to leave it? Wow. Yeah. I mean, she was his ride or die. He wouldn't be in this position without her. He seems like a nice guy. I don't know why he would just have success and then dump her. Uh, he's going to wind up with one of those Vanderpump's Rules girls. I hope not, for his sake. Yeah, he is. He's going to wind up with one of them. That's he's She's gone. She's done. No. Yep. Randy, look how long yeah, he hung on to his off. beard. I don't think he's going to just boot someone he loves out of the picture. He just won the Triple Crown, and he plays in L.A. He's going to be part of the scene. No, but maybe she keeps him grounded. You know, he she's someone that was with him before he was the Cooper Cup we know today. She keeps him real. Well, he'll feel grounded. That's the problem. I don't know. Look at Patrick Mahomes. He's the biggest superstar in the world and stayed with the girl that he knew before. But Kansas City's different than L.A. That is true. But I'm just saying. Yeah, You, you don't have, uh, let me think, uh... Who are some of the Vanderpump Rules girls? 65780. Uh, Shayna. No, she's with someone else. They, they all have uh, husbands and baby daddies At now. the moment. Yeah, they're all locked up. Yeah, the, at the moment. It, the, this can change in a hurry. I don't know if that's really appealing to someone like Cooper Cup, someone that's a bartender on a reality TV show. Okay, so maybe one of the real housewives of Beverly Hills. They seem to be out of his age bracket. I mean, listen, age is just a number. I'm just oh, saying. I don't Michelle, know if he finds that. I've got another one for you then. Okay, go ahead. You like this? Yes, okay, go ahead. Are we having fun? I'm, uh, I'm just so saying I ja think he Morant, seems like a nice guy. Ja Morant, what is he, 21? Yeah. Dating Drake's ex-girlfriend, 40-year-old Joanna Leah. Wow. Yeah, so now you know via radio. Shout out to Ja, though, who's one of the most exciting people to watch. He's unbelievable. He is so he really fun. Is. And so is uh, Joanna. So, Randy, speaking of Patrick Mahomes' fiance, Brittany Matthews, mm-hmm. she's... um. A lot of people on the internet don't like her. Okay, I don't know how to say it any other way. I'm trying to be delicate here. I don't want to badmouth women, but a lot of people don't like her, okay? People are saying Joe Burrow has to save America from Patrick Mahomes' fiance and from his brother, who we know is the guy that TikToked on Sean Taylor's grave, among other things, okay? So Brittany Matthews posted this video last night after the Chiefs have an epic shootout win over the Buffalo Bills. She's in a suite. She's got her hair, toddler and tiara curled, not not a curl out of place. She's in what looks like a very expensive outfit. She has a bottle of champagne, probably an expensive one, and she pops it and sprays it all over the unsuspecting Chiefs fans below her. Not one person, I've watched the video several times, is looking up at her cheering with her. Not one person looks like they would have invited the champagne shower onto the onto themselves. Take it or leave it. If I'm one of the people who get doused with champagne in that moment, I'm sending her the dry cleaning bill. I'll take that. 
you might go all Italian on her. I could see you getting up the up to the suite. Can you imagine celebrating one of the best moments of your fandom? I know that the Chiefs have won the Super Bowl, but after a game like that, unbelievable. You're celebrating with your family or your buddies, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, someone who's in a suite above you dro- is dousing you with champagne. Terrible. Yeah, the, the fact that she did it intentionally, terrible. And it was for social media clout. It was not right. because she wanted to celebrate with Chiefs fans who wanted to celebrate with her. It's so someone could film her and she could post it on social media. Brenda Warner never did that. Yeah, it's a little gauche if you ask me. I, I would say sorry if I was her. And I know sometimes you get caught up in the moment and you're excited, you're celebrating. But can can Patrick Mahomes just tell his family members, like, maybe let's not do things at games for social media clout. Like, cheer me on, support me, have a great time. But let's... Stop trying to think about how things are going to look through the optic optics of Instagram and and like take a step back and read the room. Is sorry part of her vernacular? You think? I don't know her personally. Maybe she's someone that says sorry, but she does literally dance on dead people's. No, that was his brother. Oh yeah, that's his but brother. She was she was taping it, right? Oh, I don't know. I don't know like, who was behind the lens, but I just know if that was me. I would be furious yeah. if I if I got doused in champagne by someone who was sitting up in a heated Agreed. suite above me. I'm with you. All right, Matt, what do we got on the text line? Right off the bat, Tioli, Mahomes is the Brady and Allen is the Mannings for the next 10 years. I think, And they were talking, Nance and Romo were talking about that last night. How hard is that going to be when you have Joe Burrow and uh, who's the other AFC quarterback that we're leaving out? Oh, the Chargers quarterback. Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert, yeah. Uh, That's really hard to say because you've got so many. You've got four that could be in the mix here. Yeah, you know what's funny is earlier in the season, didn't we say it was going to be Burrow and Herbert as the the Peyton Manning, or excuse me, the Manning Brady for the next couple years? The AFC is absolutely stacked with young quarterbacks. Um, I hope that it's one version of that, but the way that Mahomes and Allen have played in big moments – I don't know how you don't say right now. And maybe it's recency bias, but I don't know how you don't go with those two right yeah, now. One week from tomorrow morning, we might be thinking differently, though. Because Burrow could be in, a conver- in the conversation, right? Absolutely. Yep. Take it or leave it. NFL kickers are the most mentally tough humans on the planet. Uh, I got a ticket. Robbie Goldman, zero degrees, kicking a 45-yard field goal. Game I was on thinking, the line. Think about it. It used to be hard to kick a 50-yard field goal. And now 50-yarders go through with no problem at all. Kickers are so good now in the NFL. That's why they move the extra point back. They, they might be too good. They might have to do something else besides the ball to change things. But you do have to be so mentally tough yeah. to be able to go oh. out there knowing that, that it's up to you. It, you have to do your job for your team to have success. And everybody's watching. The world, well, not the world, but America is watching. You have to be built different Put mentally. It in, in this perspective, you have to, with... The pressure of your team winning or losing, you have to take a golf swing and hit a drive right down the middle. That's what it is. Yeah. Because go- kicking, I-, I talk to kickers about this all the time because I-, I-, I love to compare things to golf. And with the weight shift and with the pressure, there's a lot of similarity between kicking a football, although it's getting snapped and moving but just for the from the kicker's perspective that's why all the kickers are good golfers because there's so much that's similar between kicking a football and and hitting a golf ball by the way back to our young quarterbacks conversations Mm -hmm. we completely forgot lamar jackson yeah right so you got five in the (laughs) afc and he's won an mvp and he's he's as young as any of them right does have mvp under his belt take it or leave it the rams win a super bowl but st louis then gets an expansion team or the rams never win a super bowl while we're alive wait well 
Ram- the, the, the Rams in LA win a Super Bowl, but then St. Louis eventually gets an NFL expansion, or the Rams never win a Super Bowl in your lifetime, but St. Louis also doesn't get an expansion team in your lifetime. I'll leave and take. We will never get an expansion yeah. team in my lifetime, and I will take that the Rams don't win a Super Bowl. Yeah, we're weren't oh randy's crossing his fingers and his toes i'm saying (laughs) yeah they're pretty good randy they're pretty good we should be concerned but uh, the expansion team is not going to happen i know that that's something that the great sports fans in st louis want to hang on to but you and i spoke to people intimately involved Mm -hmm. in the lawsuit process and that was not on the table it's not going to happen and it's really a shame that that was floated out there publicly when that wasn't really an option because it does get people's hopes up that that's going to be something that they can look forward to and I have three or four friends still either in ownership, certainly in executive levels at the NFL that talk to me. <laughs> There's not many left. <laughs> and what I w- the, the phrase that I'll use from the person that is, I, he is next to an owner. He's, he's basically an owner. And when I asked about the possibility of NFL expansion, he said, not in a million years. NFL owners are very happy with sharing with the other 31 and now with the gambling money that's going to come online for them they don't want to share with anybody else they're going to share with two more franchises and after st louis just put them through a very uncomfortable legal process where they had to cough up 790 million dollars i don't think that they're really interested in going into business with st louis not at all thank you matt and uh, thank you very much for your text to the air comfort service text line 65780 next up is it really worth it to be home field in the NFL playoffs? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's 8.07 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Michelle Smallman, Randy Character, and Michelle road teams this year in the NFL were only six games under 500 in the playoffs in the first round the wild card round the home teams were five and one but this past weekend the home team was one and three and I'm wondering if it really makes any difference we talk about how important it is to get home field and to get the bye the bye certainly didn't help the Packers or the Titans this Mm -hmm. year I wonder how important it is for teams to get home field or to get that top seed it sure didn't make much difference this weekend and i wonder if it's worth it to go through the trouble to wear your players down and have to play a home game when you can go on the road and have just as good a chance of winning yeah with the way that people travel these days a home field advantage isn't as severe as it used to be i mean here we are just talking about the rams and i know that's a different circumstance but how it might not even be a home game for them because the 49er fans will travel Um, to SoFi. Granted, proximity and a rabid fan base play into that. But I think that we are seeing an era in which it's, it's not as important, primarily because travel is easier for these teams. The plane is comfortable. They're going directly to a five star hotel. The rigors of travel aren't the same on these teams as they probably were in the past. The Washington Post, Randy, actually did a great article about this. And it was it came out last week. And in this season, in the 2021 season, home teams were favored by an average of just 1.7 points. Wow. So, so home home field advantage is in no way as severe as it used to be. And I know I know that it's difficult. Number one, to preserve your players, especially if you have the buy. How how do you operate in that situation? In the last game of the regular season, for example, the Packers 
they rested their guys, and Aaron Rodgers didn't play. Derrick Henry didn't play for a long time for the Titans and then came back for playoff time. But the teams are so even. What it comes down to is being as sharp as you possibly can. And this is why coaches make as much money as they do. Mm-hmm. You don't have a salary cap. But you look at the the staffs that won this year. Not that the staffs that lost are bad. But the teams that won were the ones that made the fewest mistakes, generally. Yeah. And that had nothing to do with home field advantage. Right. I, you Look at last night. The, the, the Buccaneers come back and tie the game and they don't cover Cooper Cup. That that's, doesn't have anything to do with home or road. That just has to do with making plays, right? Two yeah. players making plays. You look at Green Bay. They made the, the fatal mistake of allowing the, the block field goal at mm-hmm. the end of the first half and then the blocked punt. And then you look at the Titans throwing an interception with 20 seconds left. Right. It came down to mistakes in close games. Yeah, and with the, the Chiefs and Bills, you could argue that the Bills didn't lose that game because they were at Kansas City. Right. It was a, a, the choice of potentially a, a squib kick or not and a coin toss. Heads or tails. It had nothing to do with their performance in what is one of the most intense home environments in the NFL and, mm-hmm. and at Arrowhead. Their fans are always crazy and that didn't seem to affect the Bills one bit. The other part of it, I remember how depressed I was in 2003 when the Panthers beat the Rams in double overtime here. I can't imagine what it's like today for a franchise like Tennessee because they had the number one seed and were getting King Henry back. They figured Mm -hmm. they were going to win. How horrible was yesterday for their fans? How horrible was yesterday for Packer fans? And how horrible is today for Buccaneers fans, especially Buccaneers fans, with the thought that that might have been it for Tom Brady? Yeah, I still think that today should be National Hug a Bills fan day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I think if I'm feeling badly for any fan base. At least they didn't go to the game, unless they traveled to the game. At least that wasn't, they weren't among... 60,000 other Bills fans that had to trudge out to their cars after losing. Yeah. What's that environment like? Do you just not speak to anybody? Is it is it eerily it's dead quiet? quiet? Dead quiet. Yeah, that Especially sucks. when you lose, well, like like that. When you lose like the Bucks did on the last play of the game, when you lose like the Packers did on the last play of the game. Yeah, it's devastating. And you, you don't bounce back easily from that. No, usually when my team loses, especially in a, a bad nail-biting postseason loss like that, mm-hmm. I institute a no sports center, no reading about yep, the good team. Idea. I, it's like a 48-hour cleanse where you just have to emotionally process it without having to deal with it all over again. Super Bowl 36, I've never watched that entire game. And it, to watch highlights, it had been till the Rams moved after they were in L.A. before I watched highlights of that game. Wow, really? Yeah. That was just horrible. Will you ever go back and watch the entire thing? No. No. No need to. It was like the worst day of my life. It really was. Worse than when the vote came down and the Rams moved? Yeah, that was worse. Because I didn't expect them to lose that game. I, I kind of had an idea that things were falling apart for the Rams staying in St. Louis. And I yeah. knew that they wanted to leave. But it never struck me. Even when Brady took over with no timeouts and the two-minute warning, it never struck me that the Rams might lose that game. I will never, ever, ever watch the 2005 National Championship game again. I've watched that Arizona comeback many times. Sometimes the Big Ten Network will have those 2005 games on, those you know classic mm-hmm. rewind games. I refuse to watch that National Championship game. No need to open no. those wounds. And by the way, 
with the Packers being about $40 million over the cap, that was it for this incarnation of the Packers. So not only did you watch a loss, but you watched the end of an era, too, because they are going to be able to keep everybody. That's true. That's absolutely true. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that is today's uh, Fresh Take here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, to talk about his red-hot club. Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is Character and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Great floors for every home with locations in Crestwood, Manchester, Overland, and St. Peter's. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. The Blues win again last night up in Vancouver. 3-1 over the Canucks. They will play the Calgary Flames tonight before they come home to take on Winnipeg on uh, Thursday. Or they'll play the Flames on Thursday. So back-to-back games against the Flames. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, joins us now on 101 ESPN in the Blues booth as he does every Monday morning. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Randy, doing awesome. How are you guys today? Everything's good. And what an impressive start to this trip for the Blues. Yeah, it's been a good one. And, you know, they hit the, the, the 41 game mark last night, which is uh, officially wrapping up the first half of this season. And considering everything they've gone through, considering the challenges that, that they have faced from a roster standpoint, from a COVID standpoint, from an injury standpoint, um, everything included, I, I think it's been a, just a terrific first half of the season. It really has curves. Randy was just telling us a couple segments ago that over the weekend, Bruce Boudreau actually said that he thinks the Blues are the best team in the NHL. There's obviously teams who have more points or are higher than them in the standings. But what do you think about that statement? I've said all along, all season long, Michelle, that when the Blues are healthy, they are the deepest team that the league has this year. They're, they're, you're not dealing with you know a team that has a superstar, you know, like like a Connor McDavid or, or like a Sidney Crosby or an Ovechkin. And who knows, maybe, maybe you know, a guy like Jordan Cairo develops into one. But I don't know a team that is deeper that could throw the four lines at you that the St. Louis Blues can throw. And the way that they've developed Nico Mikola and the way that he's been playing now with Colton Pareko, what you're seeing and with a plus 25 and the, I think the third best uh, plus minus uh, of a defenseman in the league with Justin Falk, this team has everything that it needs to go on a deep run and challenge. And, uh, and look, you're only going to play Colorado, I think, one more time towards the end of the year. So you're going to miss an opportunity to maybe test your medal against those guys again. But after 41 games, you've got more points than the Vegas Golden Knights than the other teams that were supposed to be uh, the best in the West, and the Blues are there. So uh, I, they can. The, the other thing the Blues have done here, Michelle, is they have shown that they can win games in different ways. If they need to score four or five, they can score four or five. If they need to do it with special teams, they can do it with special teams. If they've got to lock it down two to one, lately they've been showing they can do that again too. This is a very dangerous team. With all that being said, Curbs, as we get to the All-Star break, what's one area of improvement that you would like to see the Blues attack in the second half? I, I still think that there's uh, uh, some improvement on this team in two areas. One, uh, I think face-offs. They were just as a team below 50%. Now, by the way, the coaches track faceoffs different than the NHL official stats. So, you know, that's always a question that we ask the coaches, okay, where do you have things? But we talked to Braden Shen about it yesterday, and they've got really good faceoff men, but 
I think winning some key faceoffs in some key areas can really alleviate some pressure. The other one is just all around defensively, and I'm not just talking about you know the six defensemen on the ice. I'm still talking about you know the forwards coming back, helping out, shutting down. Like last night might be a great example. Yeah, the Blues gave up 38 or 39 shots on goal, but I think if you talk about Grade A scoring chances, the Blues might have actually had more than the Vancouver Canucks. So if, if you're doing your job and letting the shots go from the outside, from the opposition, your goalie's able to see them and make the saves, that's a good thing. So I, I still think there's some room for improvement on the defensive side for this uh, this hockey team. Curbs, among all goalies, Charlie Lindgren leads the league in save percentage and goals against. This morning, among qualified goalies, Ville Husso leads all goalies in save percentage and goals against. How real is what we're seeing from Husso? Well, Billy's starting to come into his own, and he's starting to feel comfortable, too. You know, last year being his first full year in the league, uh, this year, you know, you, you know he's comfortable. You know he's seen some teams. Now, he's had some pretty good matchups as well. I think Jordan Bennington this season has faced more of the top teams, more of the top offensive teams, uh, and, and done so, by the way, uh, when this lineup has been depleted quite a lot. So, you know, I'm not – I'm still where I was at last week when it comes to the goaltending situation. But Billy Huso's delivering what you'd like him to deliver. The guy's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. He's a full-time NHL goaltender. He's making some key saves, and he's he's just getting you and keeping you on track right now. Joe and I talked – listen, when Joe and I broke down some of the stories of the first half of the season, uh, an absolute under-the-radar story because of the way this season has gone for, say, Thomas and Cairo and Tarasenko and what you're seeing with Falk and Krug and – Perico average in nearly 24 minutes or just over 24 minutes. All these different stories, man, those five games from Charlie Lindgren were absolutely mammoth. He came in when the team was depleted. Both goaltenders were out with COVID and Charlie Lindgren came in and gets five straight wins that keeps you in it and writes the ship. But it was a, that is a story that uh, definitely remains to me as one of the top stories of the first half of the season. And the curbs as the Blues get ready to pay, play back-to-backers against the Calgary Flames, an opportunity heading into the All-Star break for the Blues to maintain their recent dominance. Yeah, and you know what? And Calgary's playing so much better this year under Daryl Sutter. Uh, I was really curious at the beginning of the year how this was going to work out for them because some of the vibe out of Calgary you know, was not great at the end of last season after they brought Daryl in. They bought into that system, and, and they're playing pretty doggone well. Now, they've got games in hand on on teams ahead of them in the standings, so a little bit of a false uh, front when you look at where Calgary is mm-hmm. and where they're going to need to be. They're going to have to make those games up, but they've, they've got some good goaltending in Markstrom. They, we, obviously, we know what Matthew Kachuk can do and Johnny Gaudreau can do, and they play that hard-nosed style that you're so used to seeing from a Daryl Sutter team, whether when he was with San Jose or winning the Cups with Los Angeles, so this is going to be a, a good challenge for the Blues. See if you can get the one on the road and then come home, get it at home. But uh, it's an opportunity for them to take down another team and just continue their ascent towards the top of this division. Hey, Curbs, one more thing. and We've talked a lot during the first half of the season about Jordan Cairo. Picked up his 16th goal last night. And as skilled a young player as the Blues have brought along in a long, long time, as you've watched him over the last couple of years, as he has grown, have you determined what you think his upside is? What ultimately could he do for the Blues? Yeah, you know what, Randy? I, I, I don't know what his upside is beyond wondering, as I said maybe a couple minutes ago, 
do they have a superstar here? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been a while since we've seen the St. Louis Blues. We've seen some really good players chosen by the Blues in the second and the third rounds. You know, but, but it's been a while when you compare, say, like a, a fifth-round draft pick of Jamie Benn and one year ends up leading the league in scoring, okay? It's been a while since the Blues have had that kind of pick where the guy develops into something so much more maybe than his slotted draft spot would lead you to believe he's supposed to be. And, and maybe they have that with him. The one thing that is two, – two things come to mind. One, the quality of the coaching. The way Craig Maruby has developed this guy in the National Hockey League has been spectacular. But two – He's taken the coaching, and, and he's able to run with it. He's making plays now instinctively that, you know, before a young player is not maybe going to either have the guts to do, the courage to do, or the comfortable uh, aspect just to get in the lineup to do, and he's doing it now. Uh, we haven't seen a player, I think, that plays with this kind of speed, you know, and able to handle the puck the way he has, maybe since uh, maybe since Pavel Dimitri. I keep trying to figure out what likeness or who since or who he might play like, and I'm having a hard time trying to pick it. To I agree. With I am with, I'm with you. I can't find that guy <laughs> yeah. either. No, and, and so I don't really know exactly, but I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, he continues to shoot the puck. I like the fact that he could become our first 80-point player since Pavel Dimitri had 93 in 2003, which is really a long time if you think about it. And, uh, and, and the upside for him could turn into a true star in the National Hockey League. Should should be a lot of fun heading up uh, into the All-Star break. Curbs, thanks for the time. We always appreciate it, and enjoy your week. All right, Randy. Thanks, Michelle. Have an awesome week. See you later. That is the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, here on 101 ESPN. Blues and Flames tonight, pregame at 7 here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we've got the fight for you. Stick around. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character. It's Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Monday edition of The Fight. Let's bring in Randy's challenger. Steve's with us. Good morning, Steve. How was your weekend? Good morning, Michelle. It was awesome. Watched a bunch of sports and uh, couldn't have gotten any better football this past weekend. I know. I almost feel like the conference championship games are going to be so boring comparatively. (laughs) I hope not, but we'll see. Steve, do you have a horse in the race still? Uh, Buffalo was my horse. Uh, local product, A.J. Epinesa, is my man. Yes. And uh, that was just a demoralizing loss right there. So, uh, not really now. Yeah, I understand. I'm sending thoughts and prayers to all of the Bills fans out there today. Donnie Fandango, if you're listening, we love you, buddy. We are so sorry. All right, Steve, are you ready to take on Randy in the fight? I am ready. All right, let's go. Question number one. Last night was the first matchup between the Canucks and Blues since the note fell 4-2 to two in the first round of the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs. Which Blue led the team in scoring that series with eight points? Was it Jaden Schwartz, David Perron, or Ryan O'Reilly? Schwartz. Jaden Schwartz. 
You got it. All right. Number two in the fight today. Despite their loss yesterday, Tom Brady threw for over 300 yards and extended his career playoff passing records to over 12,700 yards. Who is second on that list? Joe Montana, Peyton Manning, or Drew Brees? Drew Brees. Question number three for you, Steve. With their win over the Titans on Saturday, the Bengals ended the longest conference championship appearance drought in the NFL. What franchise now has the longest drought? Is it the Detroit Lions, the New York Jets, or the Cleveland Browns? Detroit Lions. And number four, only two catchers in the modern era have led a league in triples for a season. Carlton Fisk did it in the American League in 1972 with nine, and Cardinals backstop Tim McCarver led the NL with 13. In what year did McCarver reach this milestone? Milestone. 1963, 1966, or 1967? Shot in the dark. Let's go with 66. Okay, we're checking our score here. Yep, confirmed. Waving in Randy. Steve, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm going to say confident. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad you're feeling confident. This was a good fight. This was Matt's first fight that he put together. It's officially his first day as our new producer. How did you feel putting together the fight, Matt? It was it was tough. Uh, I, I got some help from a very helpful roommate who, who loves coming up with trivia questions. Nice. So he's you'll, you'll hear probably me giving him some credit uh, on a lot of these fights. But put together a couple of them. I had a couple extra ones. Almost almost had a question from the uh, anniversary of the Here Comes Shoveldale fight. But I couldn't, couldn't shoehorn it in a, a good enough way. Well, good first fight. I love these questions. Randy, please say good morning to Steve. Steve, good morning. How are you doing? morning randy how are you sir i'm doing well thanks for listening thanks for playing absolutely are you ready i'm ready okay randy question number one last night was the first matchup between the canucks and blues since the note fell 4-2 in the first round of the 2020 stanley cup playoffs Mm -hmm. which blue led the team in scoring that series with eight points eight points for the blues it definitely was not vladimir tarasenko um hmm so I will, uh, I guess I'll do the lifeline here early. Okay. Is it Jaden Schwartz, David Perron, or Ryan O'Reilly? My first thought was going to be number 90, so I will go with O'Reilly. All right, number two, despite the Buccaneers' comeback falling short, Tom Brady threw for over 300 yards and extended his career playoff passing yards record to over 12,700 yards. Who is second on that list? Second all-time in passing, postseason passing yards. Postseason passing yards. Uh, Logic would dictate that it's Peyton Manning. He's played a lot of playoff games. Indeed. Um, Brett Favre didn't play as many playoff games or have nearly as many successful games in the playoffs. Um, I can't think of anybody else that would be close. Elway... Montana, no. I'll go with Peyton Manning. Question number three for Randy. With their win over the Titans on Saturday, the Bengals ended the longer... Oh, my gosh. If I could speak on a Monday. The Bengals ended the longest conference championship appearance drought. That's a mouthful. In the NFL. What franchise now has the longest drought? Longest drought not going to the conference championship game. Correct. Well, let's see. The it almost has to be Detroit, right? Because let's see, ninety. I don't think that was who did the Washington beat in ninety one to go. 
Detroit's won one playoff game since 1957. It's it, it's got to be the Lions. And number four, only two catchers in the modern era have led the league, a league, in triples for a season. Carlton Fisk did it from the, in the American League in 1972 with nine, and Cardinals backstop Tim McCarver led the NL with 13. In what year did McCarver reach this milestone? 1963, oh. 1966, oh, 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 or you, 1967? Yeah, you don't have to. Uh, you, you don't oh, have I'm, to. Sorry, I'm so sorry. It's okay. I apologize. First day. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. First day. No. No problem. Uh, but I appreciate Randy you <laughs> trying to jump yeah, in. Yeah, you trying to jump in. It's yeah. Uh, I, I was thinking 1967. That was going to be my guess, so I will I will go with that guess. First fight of the week. This was a close one. One person got two correct. One person got one correct. Was it Randy or was it Steve? Matt, ring the bell. Oh, Matt doesn't know to have your machine pulled oh, up. The, the oh, replay. Where's this replay? There you go. Go ahead, Randy. Just win, baby. All right, go. there we go. We need that on a Monday. <laughs> I'm sorry, Steve. Randy just had you out two to one. This was a tough fight on a Monday. Yeah, it and was. I, very tough. I just know inherently to lay out and let Randy, <laughs> let Randy's machine do his talking for him. Um, Steve, thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Okay, let's run through our answers. So when the note fell 4-2 in the first round of the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs, the blue that led the team in scoring with eight points that series was Ryan O'Reilly. Tom Brady threw for over 300 yards and extended his career playoff passing yards record to over 12,700 yards yesterday. Second on that list is, in fact, Peyton Manning. So the Bengals ended the longest conference championship appearance drought in the NFL. The franchise that now has the longest drought is the Cleveland Browns. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And the year that McCarver reached the milestone of leading the league in triples was 1966, not 67. Okay. Yes. Terrific. So, so Randy, congrats. Thank a, you. A victory to start I, the week. I appreciate Lions that. Lions lost much. the con- NFC Championship game in 1991. That was okay against uh, the Washington at the time Redskins. Very good. Okay, good. I remember the game. I just didn't recall it being the. And that must have been the year they won a playoff game to get to the championship game. All right, thank you, kids. It is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to have our weekly visit with Dan McLaughlin on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy and Danny Mac joins us on 101 ESPN. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Everything's good. I'm trying to buy some tickets online for the uh, NFC Championship game, Dan. Are you? Well, <laughs> you may have to go through a broker, I guess, Randy. But, uh, you know, you need to be within the, uh, the city of L.A., I guess, or at least the surrounding area because you don't want to see those 49er fans come to town. Do you think the 49er fans might be able to get through the gates anyway? Oh, <laughs> I think they're going to find a way. I do. You know, even when they played... Uh, the game before that, the weekend before, they still traveled well to Texas. So, yeah. 
you know, I, you know, you stay in your home state, they're going to find a way to get there, and they're going to have friends. They're going to have people selling this stuff. They're going to have people that are on the street selling it. 49er fans will find a way. You know that. I'm amazed because, Dan, you went to playoff games here in St. Louis. I'm amazed that a week before the NFC Championship game that the franchise would have tickets available because every single ticket was sold out in St. Louis before the playoffs started. It, I, it made me think about uh, my friends calling me when the Rams beat the Buccaneers. I guess that was, what, 22 years ago yesterday, right? That's correct, Over yes. The weekend. Ricky yeah. Catch, yep. Yeah, and, uh, and trying to find a way into the Dome, and they couldn't. And these are people that were willing to spend the amount of money that uh, you wouldn't think you'd want to spend for a ticket to go watch a game. So I- I'm with you. It's, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens uh, next weekend with uh, that crowd. But uh, great football over the weekend. It was a lot of fun. Um, guys, by the way, Lindsay Theory, who covers the Rams, I just found this because I had come across it last night. She tweeted this. The get-in price for Rams-Niners in the NFC Championship games is at $600 right now, according mm-hmm. to Vivid Seats. So I wonder if that has something to do with it. The fact that it, to even get in, that's the baseline. And why wouldn't you try to sell it and make a profit right, off of yeah. that? If you're not as emotionally invested, I would definitely try to turn that over. Well, I know people that have season tickets for various sports, and they have them specifically to when the teams go into postseason play. Like, they don't really have a vested interest in that team, but they make sure that they have the postseason tickets. And when they want to go in a regular season game, they'll, they'll go. But then they, you know, stub hub the rest of the tickets. And then when the playoffs come, they say, I'd rather watch it on TV. And I'm talking about various sports, and they sell their tickets, and it pays for their season tickets for the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so there's people that do do that, and uh, I'm sure if you're a 49ers fan, you can find a way in there. Well, Dan, let's talk a little baseball. We're waiting for both sides to work things out and end this lockout, and I'm, we're assuming that the DH is going to be part of that. We spoke. To I figured s- most people were on the edge of their seat throughout the weekend about this as opposed yeah. to what they were seeing on television with football and yes, basketball. We were, Dan, without a doubt. Uh, but we and sp- hockey. And hockey, too. Let's go Blues. Yes. Well, we spoke to Xavier Scruggs last week, and he thinks that Kyle Schwarber would be a perfect option for the Cardinals at DH. Do you think that the club will look for that option internally, or do you think they'll go externally to find a DH? I think there's two ways you could look at it, Michelle. One is to say, okay, if you go out and get a Kyle Schorber, it's going to be a multi-year deal. You're going to spend millions of dollars, and I'm fine with that. I'd love to see a left-handed thumper in that lineup. And for the immediate right now um, and 2022, it would seem like that would be a great fit for the Cardinals. However, I'm also trying to put myself in the seat of the, the front office and thinking ahead. It's not only about the now, but it's in the future. I've got Nolan Gorman and I got Jordan Walker coming. Uh, potentially, I'm going to have Paul DeYoung coming off my bench, maybe Lars Newpar. So, am I better off trying to mix and match and saving that money and allocating it towards relief help, maybe another starter? Um, looking at another issue that I may have with my team that I feel is more deficient than others? Or do I just say, look, I'm going for it and I'm getting Kyle Schwarber? But the thing is, or somebody else, the thing is, it's probably a multi-year deal, and then when you're doing that, where does where all the chips fit? And that's a great problem to have. And I'm not saying he doesn't fit with your team, because he does. Right now, you could pencil him right in the middle of your lineup as the DH. And by the way, I think the DH will be the easiest thing that they have to figure out during the CBA. I think both sides will agree to it. But um, is, is that something that you want instead of would he be blocking, let's say, Nolan Gorman or somebody else? Or do you have to get creative and start moving some pieces to make that fit? And that's... I think the situation that they have to to be answering right now. But if you're asking me, is he a fit? Absolutely. Hey, Dan, we had Wayno on the show on Friday, 
And he said, hey, we're all working out. We're going to be good to go when spring training starts, whenever that is. You go to spring training every year. And spring training, I think we can all agree, is too long. What's a, if the players are in shape, what's a good length of time for a spring training to be? Like, what would the shortest that it could be where they could start the season on April 1st and still have the, the agreement take place? Yeah, I've been doing a lot of thinking about it, Randy. I would have guessed like March 1st, March 2nd. And at that point, you can get your three to three and a half weeks in and then get to the cities that you have to get to to start the season. Um, I think for the position players, you know, even some of the guys with the Cardinals, I was talking with the fast lane about this. I was talking to some of them after the Dodger game. They had gotten home and they were back working out within 24 hours. So. They were taking BP. Some guys just dropped the bat for a couple of weeks. But generally speaking, um, position players are getting after it. They're in the gym. They're taking their BP. And with pitchers, a lot of guys, they they say, hey, I'm not going to pick up a ball until December, until Christmas, until the first of the year. And Wayno's 100% right. I mean, those guys know what they have to do for the most part, the majority of them, what they have to do to be ready for the season. Now, What's interesting is that you would have, like, the start of spring training, say, be February 13th, 14th, 15th, and that, um, that you know, three-day window for most teams, and then guys are on a schedule. Okay, you're going to throw a bullpen on Tuesday. You're going to have another one on Friday. Our first game is on Monday, and you're, you're starter number one. You're piggybacking that guy. You're number two, and you're on the same thing, and you're building up. So I'm sure those guys are going to build up a little bit more at the end of February if we do not have camp and then be ready to go for March. So I would say three weeks, and neither side wants to miss games, and that's when you're really starting to talk about the financial hit for some of these teams So I'm uh, and players. So I'm assuming that uh, players would say, look, I'll push it, and I'll be ready in three weeks, and we can get this thing going. Dan, another thing that Wayno pointed out to us was that in addition to not being able to talk to the coaches, these players aren't able to talk to trainers, they're not able to talk to team doctors. And I know this is a lockout and that both sides have to stop working and stop communication, but you would think that there would be some sort of caveat in place when it came to the health and training and preparation of these guys because they are an investment for for the league and the owners. Well, sure they are. And, you know, we're talking about Randy asking the question about when you can get ready, you know, physically to play. You know, remember, the union has got like 13, 1,400 players, and a good chunk of those guys are not signed. So part of what you're saying is the physical aspect, Michelle, of getting guys ready and, you know, are they ready? Are they doing what they're supposed to be doing? And normally these teams, like the trainers and whatnot, are always checking in, you know, every couple of weeks, every week, especially with guys that are hurt. For some guys, they they change their training regimen, so they get them ready in a different way and always are checking in on a Zoom or a phone call. But the other thing is, when these guys are not signed, you know, you're talking about these players having to relocate potentially, get a get a place to live, and for some of these players coming from outside the United States, you know, getting a visa, uh, getting into the country and getting settled. So there's a lot of things that need to happen outside of just even between the white lines that would benefit everybody to get this thing done sooner rather than later. Dan McLaughlin has a great deal of disdain, like we do, for the National Football League. <laughs> but, Dan, how hard is it for you to turn away from the product? As much as you hate the business. Oh, I can't. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't. I, I, yeah, for sure hate the the business side of this. But, you know, watching the Chiefs and the Bills last night was as good as sports watching, I think, that you can have. I mean, I'm with you. I don't watch the full game usually. Um, 
I usually will check in towards the end and, and see what's going on. I have lost that luster for my viewing. I used to just sit down and watch uh, the what is it the Red Zone Channel. My son does it every Sunday. He's sitting there in front of the TV and doing his fantasy league and doing all that stuff. I, I check in and out, but um, that that game last night, you know, Chiefs forty two thirty six in OT is about as good as it gets. I don't like the overtime rule. I wish the NFL would change that because to not have Josh Allen touch the ball in OT is kind of absurd. But you know what? The Bills can look in the mirror and say, with 13 seconds left, how do you not squib a kickoff and take some time off the clock and, and call a defense? So, But that again, that's the beauty of what we're talking about today. I can't imagine what's going on in western New York today or last night mm-hmm. um, and some of the tough losses that that fan base has had. And me being a baseball guy – I'll be honest, I was sitting there going, this is as good as it gets, and I love baseball, but man, let's get this thing going, because look at what's happening with the sports viewing in our country. You're watching college basketball, you're watching blues hockey late last night, you're watching the great games that the NFL is providing. You know what, when that's done, when the NFL ends, that final tick of the clock in the Super Bowl, to me, it's baseball season. So let's go. Hey, Dan, one final thing. Michelle and I are both uh, sporting the colors of the St. Louis Billikens today. You did the Billiken game yesterday on USA, a win over UMass. I I wish I could figure this team out. They lose to UMass on Thursday night. Then they come back and trample UMass yesterday. They they had Auburn. To me, that's the one that's going to kill them for the committee because you're up by 12 against Auburn with seven and a half minutes left. If you win that game, that's the win you needed. And now, uh, number one, I can't figure them out. But number two, I think they have to win their tournament to get to the tur- to the NCAA tournament. Thinking about that during the game, actually, Randy, I mean, they were up by two with four and a half minutes to go in the first half. And then they win by, what, 31, 32 points, whatever it was. I mean, they blew them out, and it wasn't even close. Um, and I'm sitting there going, and the, the gentleman I worked with, uh, Sidney Johnson, a former coach, and we were talking afterwards, I said, how did, how did SLU lose against UMass? And he said, I have no idea. He said, when you're watching that game today, when they were on the road, they should have won by 10 or 15. That can't happen. They did not make an adjustment in the second half of the game on Thursday night. They did make the adjustment yesterday. Gibson Jimerson had an outstanding game with 31 points. Uh, Jordan Nesbitt, who he, he is so athletic, the kid that is from this area, transferred from Memphis, his first double-double. And you watch offensively. They're not trying to like run plays for him and sets for him. He just is making things happen. And he was so efficient in that game with a double-double in about 15 or 20 minutes. But I'm with you. Uh, I, I look at some of the losses that they've had, and they sting a bit, man. You, certainly Auburn is number one on that list when you had them. But then when you have – a UAB, mm-hmm. um, and you, you've got some other teams that you had on the ropes at home that you should have won. Now, they did beat Iona. That's a good win. But some of the others, I'm with you. It's going to be tough when you have those kind of losses like a UMass on the road. UMass is no good. Uh, UMass may not win a game on the road this year. So they only have one win in conference play, and that was against SLU. So I'm with you. They're going to have to do some big-time run here and get on a run. And I was talking to the coaching staff before the game about that. But uh, once they get in um, – to that postseason tournament, it might be win or bust. We'll have to see. Can you do me a favor? Next time you do a Billikens game, when Jimerson hits a three, can you go, oh, big game, give me Jim. I can come up with something. I'm not going to use that. That's terrible. Come on. That's what, I, I, well, you had uh, the, the, the Tim Linscombe, right? Big game, Timmy, Jim, right? So big game, give me Jim, Gibson, Jimmerman? Gibson, Jimerson. This is the problem. When you start doing things like that, and you know this, Randy, doing play-by-play, 
Now it's going to stick in my mind, and I'm going to start saying, and there's a three from Jimmy Giberson. No. I mean, Gibson Jimerson. I mean, Jimmy Jimmy. Jimmy. Yeah, you can't do that to me. That's like when you have a guy's name that is a little, you know, they it may be spelled one way, but certainly said another. But mm-hmm. if you said it like you think it might be, you know, said, it's all of a sudden ingrained in, in, in your ingrained in your brain. See, now I'm doing it. It's ingrained <laughs> in your brain, and you can't get it out of your mind. And then all of a sudden, in the heat of the moment, you say, "There's the three, and all of a sudden, you go, "Oh no." I just said that guy's name, and that's like a cuss word. Mm-hmm. And that's really not supposed to be said like a cuss word. I'm in deep trouble. And now you've just done that for me with Gibson Jimerson. I always have trouble with shiitake mushrooms. That's a Well, I can understand why. <laughs> I do, too. That's why sometimes in a baseball game you'll notice if it's that guy's name, if, if it was like shiitake, I would say shiitake with the pitch. I just kind of draw it out and make sure I say it right. Right, exactly. You know, I don't want to say it. Wrong. You know what I mean. Yep. You're the best. You can't do that, Bernard. It's, uh, you know, if I I sit there and I talk to to Bernie Federico, I always say, Bernard, you can't do that. You cannot do that, Bernard. That's my (laughs) statement always when people say that kind of, I said, you can't say it like that. No, no, no. Now you got me in trouble. Sorry. Dave. Yeah, thanks a lot. That's going to be Wednesday night. Tune in, everybody, on Valley Sports to see the end of my career. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll see you there. All right, buddy. Sounds good. Thanks, Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Randy. Michelle, if I don't... I'll see you Friday, Michelle. Yes, Dan, I'll see you in studio on Friday. Looking forward to it. Why is Randy taking the day off? Uh, It's Joan's birthday weekend. It's Jonapalooza. Oh, nice. You got any big plans? To go I.O.? Uh, no, uh-uh. We're going to go yeah. see that thing at the uh, uh, on the parking lot of the Galleria. It was from artists. Oh, the Van Gogh exhibit. Yeah. It's awesome. I've been there. Yeah, i got to cover my ears. No, just one. You just said oh, do just that one. thing in the parking lot of... Oh, yeah. You need to be oh, specific. You need to, yeah, you're going to look at paintings. Yeah, we're going to go see the Van Gogh exhibit. Okay. All right. Well, enjoy yourself, He's, Randall, if I don't talk to you. Yeah, my, Mike Tyson Van Gogh, the guy. <laughs> really? He did. He <laughs> certainly <laughs> a lot of guys. <laughs> we'll see you later, Dan. All right, guys. Have a good one. Danny Mack with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, what a weekend for your St. Louis Blues. That's coming your way with today's big thing. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. 906 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The Blues win again last night on the road in Vancouver 3-1 against an outmanned Vancouver team. Let's be honest, Michelle, they were playing their four-string goalie. They've got all kinds of COVID issues, so some of their best players weren't available. But a win is a win is a win, and the Blues found a way to come away with a victory. Yeah, the Canucks were certainly shorthanded, but I appreciate that the Blues don't play down to their competition because we've seen teams in the past where they can be good teams, but when they're playing teams that are a lesser opponent, sometimes they take their foot off the gas. So I appreciate that the Blues take the the knife, jab it into the eye and into the brain and kill them, regardless of the quality of the opponent. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to do it. Now, last night was interesting in that at about the 1426 mark, well, the 1426 mark of the first period, Ivan Barbashev beat up on Matthew Highmore. He cross-checked him from behind. And Tory Krug didn't like what Highmore had done to Barbie, so Krug ripped his helmet off. So the Blues are facing a two-minute five-on-three, and they killed it off. Ville Husso on dealing with that. I mean, it wasn't uh, ideal. 
for us, but uh, we battled hard. You know, uh, guys were in the good spots and uh, they didn't have too much, you know, going on. And uh, unfortunately, they got a goal at the end. But overall, that was big kill for us. And, uh, you know, two minutes is not easy for the penalty killers either. So they did a good job. Yeah, the Blues did a very good job of that. And then, as uh, Ville mentioned, Pearson scores at the 16.30 mark, just four seconds after the five-on-three had ended. Yeah, I love how he started that. Two-minute five-on-three, not ideal. But just like the Blues overcome any circumstance, it seems like Ville Husso's not rattled by anything. And that he he's obviously been playing really well, but I love his demeanor, and especially in moments like that. And against a team like that, you shouldn't get outshot 39-17. The Blues did get outplayed. Here's Craig Berube. I mean, we weren't very good in the first period. And we, you know, they got a five on three. Did a good job, and then they scored late on it, like when we came out of the box. But um, you know, I just we didn't we didn't manage a puck very well in the first, and you know, we we're just kind of we didn't work and skate like we needed to. I got better as the game went along. Our best period was the third period. And there's a reason for that, I believe, because you do take for granted that it's not the full complement of Vancouver players. I have to think that the Blues players thought it was going to be a walkover, and they thought it was going to be easy. Well, you still have guys that are getting their shot in the NHL. They've got a chance to impress somebody, and that's what they were going for, and the Blues' talent at the end of the day won out. Well, in addition to all of that, that's a trend we've seen with the Blues, that the first period might not be their best period of hockey. Mm-hmm. They come alive in the second and the third period. We've seen so many come-from-behind wins with this team. That's one thing I would really like to see after the All-Star break is the Blues coming out faster, stronger, harder, more consistently. Now, one of the interesting things about last night, Michelle, is a guy who is ordinarily a St. Louis restaurateur, Michael DiPietro, got the start between the pipes for Vancouver. What a renaissance man. Yeah, very impressive. <laughs> so, second NHL start. Four-string goalie, their top three down with COVID. Well, actually, Yaro Halak can't even make it into their country because he's got COVID here, so he can't even get into Canada now. But, yeah, congratulations to Michael DiPietro. He is a multitasker if ever there was one, right? Yeah, people don't realize that, that he has a hockey background. No, uh-uh. <laughs> it's not the same Michael DiPietro, I don't think. But Michael DiPietro did get the start, and the Blues won the game by a score of 3-1. to one. And they're playing great. And now they've got a couple against Calgary. And as Curbs mentioned, Calgary is playing really well. They've got five games in hand versus the Blues. The Blues have played 41. They've only played 36 games. But again, this is a team. And Daryl Sutter is going to have his team ready to play a good, heavy, tough, gritty game, Mm -hmm. which is the way the Blues play. It should be a really good pair of games. The Blues take on Calgary tonight in Calgary, pregame at 7. And then here on Thursday night at Enterprise Center, and that pregame is at 6 o'clock for you. But I just think, like last night, not the same way, the Blues just have more good players than Calgary does. They're a better team than Calgary is. Yeah, there's no reason the Blues should lose to the Flames. To me, though, it's it's the headline is always the Matthew Kachuk series. Right. <laughs> It'll be fun to see Matthew uh, at his future home. Yeah, future blue Matthew Kachuk series. Yeah, so go and uh, cheer for him on Thursday night at Enterprise Center. I hope he looks awesome, but that the Blues win. 4-3 Blues victory and a Matthew Kachuk hat trick, and he gets a standing O. Perfect. Yeah. In fact, have him him score like an empty netter with four seconds left to make it a 4-3 game, and then have him get the standing O. And then in the postgame with Panger, or whoever he's going to speak to, because, see, I'm already thinking he's going to be on home ice and that he's going to talk to Panger. (laughs) But in the postgame with whatever network he's talking to, he says, yeah, I can't wait. To get to have this happen more often. 
<laughs> That'll be great. He just lets it slip. I'm intrigued to see what happens when the Blues play Colorado because Colorado is exceptionally talented. We all know how good they are, and they swept the Blues out of the playoffs last year, and they do have really good playoff players. But I don't think last year's Blues, Michelle, and especially because when they lost David Perron, they lost last year's best offensive player. Mm-hmm. But when you add Barbashev the way he is now, when you add Buchnevich to this team, when you add Brandon Saad and take him away from Colorado, this Blues team is much closer than the 2019 Blues than last year's Blues team was in the playoffs. I'm with you. I think obvi- obviously, not just because of the result, but that Avs team last year was just better than the Blues. But better than the Blues without David Perron? Sure. I also think even towards the end of the year, we were really wondering about the identity of that Blues team. We didn't really see the consistent cohesion from that team, whereas this year is a completely different story. Regardless of circumstance, regardless of personnel, this team has persevered. They're battle-tested, and I just think they have that that little something, that edge that we need out of a Blues playoff team, and I don't think that this Blues team is outmatched by any team in the NHL. And what you have to do, and this is a long ways down the road, we still have a half season to go, but Nazem Kadri has been their top offensive player this year. He's got 51 points, and he's also a jerk, and you know he's going to take penalties. You can't respond to his ways. You have to make the officials well aware of what he does. If they aren't, say, keep an eye on uh, Nazem Kadri, and then you you have to let him find his way into the box, not only to give you a man advantage, but to take their best offensive player this year off the ice. Yeah, stay cool, even yeah. though you know you don't want to. Yeah. Right. I, I don't want to. I want to slash his head off. <laughs> if you were a hockey player, Randy, you might lead the team in minutes in the box. I would be kicked out of the league within <laughs> a half season. I would. There's no doubt about it. You would just have rage blackout moments. You would, you would be in trouble yeah. a lot. Don't allow me to have a stick in my hand because that's going to be dangerous for everybody down there. Who do you, who would be the number one guy you would want to go after? Probably him. Yeah, probably he's on the list. Wilson. Yeah. Marshan maybe. Yeah, he's kind of a jerk too. Kadri's the worst. It's like, he's he's terrible. So there's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Blues, terrible, not a terrible player, just a terrible person. That's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Next up, hey, how about this? MLB players and donors are going to meet today. Exciting. Face-to-face, they're going to meet. And uh, today is January 24th. Last time they met was December 1st for a face-to-face. So what are we hoping happens? What should the MLBPA offer? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Today is the first day since December 1st that players and owners in baseball will meet face-to-face. That seems incredible that we've had a lockout, Michelle, since December 1st, and the owners and the players have not deemed it necessary to meet face-to-face since December 1st as we sit here on January 24th. That's the part of this that makes my blood boil is that there's so much at stake, and the fact that they aren't acting with a sense of urgency Mm -hmm. makes me furious. But what do we expect? This is what baseball does. So today, and this is according to Evan Drellich at The Athletic, the players will have a new proposal. And 
Drellich writes, one of the reasons the players so disliked the proposal MLB made in August to institute a salary floor was because it came with modifications to the luxury tax that would have severely hampered free agency. The owners have offered to raise the luxury tax threshold slightly while simultaneously increasing the penalties to exceed them. And on the question of getting younger players paid more, MLB keeps offering to pay players by a formula that in the short term might bring a little more money to players, but would also sacrifice the salary arbitration process, a mechanism players greatly value because it allows them to argue for higher pay to a third party. Mm -hmm. One of the things, if I'm the players that I want today is to talk about penalties for not reaching a salary floor, whether those, uh, and this would be penalties that owners would pay, financial penalties that they would have to pay for not reaching a salary floor, similar to what they pay for going over the luxury tax threshold. We only have one or two teams a year that go over the luxury tax threshold. I don't know why that's such a big deal for the players, because there are teams that are willing to do it. And the Cardinals, it's like $210 million. There's only like three teams, maybe four, Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, Cubs, that are ever even going to approach that threshold. So if I'm the players, I'm saying, okay, well, I've got 26 teams that are never even going to get close Mm -hmm. to that. I would much rather have a rising tide lift all boats and have more players make more money rather than worry about that select group that's going to be able to get offers from the four teams that are willing to flirt with the threshold. Yeah, because at the end of the day, if they're going over the threshold, they're still paying players, which is inevitably what they're arguing for. But I know that the earlier free agency and arbitration and ending that service time manipulation is going to be so critically important for the players. And so that's I am imagining whenever they present this new proposal today, that's going to be the big hunk of this is that, yes, there'll be stuff that that tries to take care of tanking and there's going to be other little things here and there. But the the service time manipulation and the arbitration and free agency, that's going to be the chunk of this. And I would think that that should be pretty easy, right? Service time manipulation. Everybody knows it's wrong. Yeah, everybody thinks it's gross. Right, and it's an easy fix. And if you're an owner, you can afford it. And the way to fix this is if you play a day in the majors, your clock starts. Mm -hmm. Whether you play that day on opening day or whether you play that first game on July 4th, your clock starts and you get a year of service time. Pretty simple. And if you're an owner... That will prompt you, I would hope, to play your best group of players. And that's the key. There's no way that Chris Bryant should not have been playing for the Cubs at the beginning of 2015. So it doesn't matter to me as an owner whether I'm going to have this guy. Well, it it should matter. That's the thing. I want to field my best team. And the best way for owners to field their best team is to have them pay for a player for a full year. Yeah, you would think, I know that there's money attached to it, so that always complicates things, but Mm -hmm. you would think from an ownership perspective, you would want to remove that obstacle because you do want to just have the best players available to you whenever you deem it necessary for them and not have to even consider, well, should I bring up someone like Chris Bryant because I don't want to start his clock? I know, again, money complicates everything, but you should want, but I guess that's the problem if you're sitting on the player's side of, of the negotiating table, is you're arguing with people who, a lot of times it might not necessarily want to field the best product. They don't care. They don't care. (laughs) Because for common sense, which is a lot of the fans who are sitting 
at or sitting on the sidelines here observing all of this, you would think everybody thinks it's gross. Chris Chris Bryant is the golden example of that. What happened to him should have never happened. And why wouldn't you want to try to win? So that the disincentivizing tanking needs to be a big part of this because there should be repercussions for teams that don't go out and try to win. You know what I hate about this thing? And and historically, I, I've been on the side of owners, but I, I I try to look at this objectively, and it doesn't seem to me like owners want any sort of a two-way street here. They want this to be a one-way deal where they really stick it to the players like they did the last time. An example, players want shorter free agency. Right now they're getting a free agency at about 30 years old, right? They're, it's six years that you have to play in the majors. 28, 20, 29 years old, 30 years old for free agency. And they get players essentially as indentured service uh, servants in the minors because those players are not even making poverty wages. They're making below minimum wage when you take everything into account. And a, a team can own their rights for six years in the minors and then another six in the majors. Why not cut that down to 10? Why not make it five years in the minors and five years in the majors? Why not try to be humane about this? And that's the problem that I have with the owners is that I don't think that there's a humane bone in their body. Well, if you're sitting on their side of things and you're looking at the way that you were able to absolutely win this hand over fist the last time, you're in a pretty good spot negotiating because you set the template of how to beat them. And these are people that can't not only can they not read the room about the state of mm -hmm. baseball and they can't understand what they're doing to their product as a whole. They don't care about these players. These players are just a cog in the machine that makes them money. They're not thinking about the the state of minor league baseball. They're not thinking about arbitration. They're not thinking about manipulating service time from a logical, humane perspective. No. They're thinking, how can I save money? How can this affect my bottom dollar? That's and, right. And that's why it's frustrating for fans because we have to understand that the lens that we're looking through as we observe these negotiations is not the same lens the owners and or players are looking through. And I wish that someone could talk to the owner and try to give them a dose of reality, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case, which is why I have no hope that we are not going to miss spring training. I have no hope that this is not going to bleed over into actual games because we're dealing with people that can't understand reality. And here's another part of this. Players want to disincentivize tanking. If you are Bill DeWitt and you're in a division with the Pittsburgh Pirates and last year the Chicago Cubs, why would you want those teams to not be able to tank? The reason the Cardinals made the playoffs is because those teams tanked. The mm -hmm. Cubs trading away all their guys, the Pirates never even trying. There are a group of teams, including the Dodgers, the Cardinals, to an extent the Braves, the Yankees, the Red Sox. They love the fact that teams are allowed to tank. You, you think the Red Sox and Yankees want Baltimore to be forced to compete? No way. And that's the problem is they're thinking about their individual benefits they're yep. thinking about their individual profits and not of the viability of, of baseball as a whole they, I think there should be relegation take something yep. from soccer make it make it such a big punishment and embarrassment for you to be bad that will never happen but I bet that would juice up the interest in baseball yep. if a team that tanked would get relegated people would care but again if you're a team that's benefiting from tanking why would you ever say yeah this is a bad idea
You never would. No. So here's what, if I'm the players, I'm going into this face-to-face today, and I'm asking for free agency to be cut down. Minor league free agency, Mm -hmm. five years. Major league free agency, five years. So that as an owner, you still owe owe me for a reasonable amount of time, 10 years. I'm also going to ask for... The penalties for not reaching the salary threshold at the bottom, uh, a, a salary floor. And then the other thing that I want as a player is the ability to have a better chance in the arbitration process when we go to the arbitration process. And I don't know how I'd form that yet, but players aren't doing great in arbitration. And most don't go to arbitration. But I want to have a shorter time to get to arbitration, and then I want to have a better opportunity to win once I get there. Do you think the owners would be amenable to those changes? No, but the problem that the players have is they don't have anything to trade. They've given everything up. And no, ordinarily, a negotiate, negotiation is a give and take. Sure. Players don't have anything to give. The last time they went to the table and they came away with an agreement, basically what they got was a chef in every locker room. They All they have in their power right now is that they can take away the product because they are the product. And that damages both sides. And yeah. if you get into a standoff like that, usually the bigger pockets win. Yeah. They can withstand it longer. The, yes, they can. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It is time now for. Let's fire one more time. There you there go. It is. There you go. Now we got it. Well, Randy, it was an unbelievable weekend of football. A lot of people tuned into all of the games. I think we would say Bills Chiefs might have been the mm-hmm. most exciting. And then I would say right below that, well, they were all exciting in their own way, but right below that was probably Rams Bucks. It was an unbelievable finish. The Rams edge out the Buccaneers, which means the NFC Championship game is going to be between the 49ers and the Rams at SoFi Stadium. And after the victory, Sean McVay, Rams head coach, talked about how excited he was to host that game. You know, I can't wait to see the fans show up, you know, and, and Mr. Kroenke's house that he built, you know, to be able to do this in the first year that fans are here. It's going to be a special, uh, special opportunity to go uh, put together a good performance, a great week of preparation, and then watch our guys go shine uh, against a great opponent next week, Bill. So he said fans are going to show up to mm-hmm. the house that Mr. Kroenke built. He didn't really establish which fan base is going to show up. We know which one. And we do know which one is going to at least try to show up, and that's the San Francisco 49ers, which obviously invaded SoFi a few weeks ago. And the Rams are trying to make sure that the 49ers fans cannot get tickets. So when you go to buy tickets for the NFC Championship game, you're greeted with a little pop-up, Randy, that comes up. And it says, public sales to the game at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California, will be restricted to residents of the greater Los Angeles region. Residency will be based on credit card billing address at checkout. Orders by residents outside of the greater Los Angeles region will be canceled without notice and refunds given. And they said this was a bad football town. You got 13 million people and you can't find 70,000 people to buy tickets for your playoff games before the playoffs start. There's no excuse that somebody should be able to go and click right now to go to an NFC championship game in L.A. That tells you all you need to know about that market and what the NFL has gotten themselves into. And McVeigh is right. It's a $5.5 billion, $6 billion house that he built. It's not great. It's got sewage problems, right? They've, they've got uh, sewage pipes that are bursting. 
last game that you had a uh, game before that you had your team having to uh, actually use a silent count at home because the opposition was so loud it's a bad situation and Sean I'm glad that you invited the 49er fans in there yeah you just said fans and now we know after that game the 49er fans were so loud that it obviously as you mm-hmm. mentioned impacted Matthew Stafford silent count his wife Kelly Stafford did a podcast appearance talking about how she had never seen anything like that and this is coming from someone who was in Detroit who had bad teams where opposing fan bases could have easily come in but she had never seen anything like that so Melissa Whitworth Andrew Whitworth's wife mm-hmm. tweets if you Rams fans want to sell your tickets I'll buy them just do not sell them to the other team in all caps, please. Well, Joe Staley, 49ers, quote tweets and says, if you Rams fans want to sell your tickets, I'll buy them. Do not sell them to your own team, please. (laughs) If you were a air quotes Rams fan or Mm -hmm. a person who had tickets to this game, procured them somehow, and you lived in the greater Los Angeles area, would you not flip them to Joe Staley? I would DM him right now and say, you really want to buy him? Here's the asking price. Because think about how great of a story that is when the win slash if the 49ers win, that their own players were able to buy up tickets and give out to fans. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah, I would absolutely be on board with selling to Joe Staley. And by the way, 49er fans, they're called the hashtag faithful. And they bailed a few years ago, but they certainly have a much better history of supporting their team than Los Angeles fans have of supporting theirs. Going all the way back to, there's a great photo of the football Cardinals playing in LA in 1975 in the playoffs. And the end of the Coliseum is completely empty. And I've told this one before, but it's accurate. 1984, Eric Dickerson is going to break the all-time single-season rushing record, and the Rams are going to clinch a playoff spot on a Sunday afternoon. And we had more here in St. Louis for the last game of 15 and 65, the 80th game of 15 and 65. We had more fans in the stands than they had the day that Eric Dickerson broke the all-time single-season rushing record, and they clinched the playoff spot. I didn't want to bring this up, but we have to. There were shots of Stan Kroenke's owner's box mm-hmm. or whatever box he was in at the game for Rams Bucks. You saw Kroenke, you saw Kevin Demoff, mm-hmm. and then you saw Wayne Gretzky. I, I'm not going to lie, Randy. That one made my stomach turn a little bit. The great one who loves St. Louis. He no, loved... he didn't. Oh, go ahead. He's a slino. St. Louis and in name only. Because... Mm. You know, for someone who has done a lot for St. Louis, who talks so great about St. Louis. What's he, he done for St. Louis? Well, I'm just saying. He, he spends he time here. He played 18 games here and left. He, he was at the us. Mutual Awards. He yeah. talks so great about St. Louis all the time. Loves the rotisserie chicken at Schnucks, per Jeremy Rutherford's great piece He's on him. He's a politician. He says great things about every place. He's got places in Idaho, in Jupiter, in L.A., in Edmonton. He's got New York. He's got places everywhere and says every city's his favorite. That one did hurt a little. I'm not going to lie, though. Yeah. He's the okay one. Oh, wow. And wow. Bobby Orr is the best player in the history of the Hockey League, and National Hockey League. I feel like we should just let that lie and, and move on. <laughs> 
So a lot of people today very upset with NFL overtime rules. The Chiefs obviously win the coin toss, which means Patrick Mahomes gets the first crack at it. The Chiefs go down, they score the touchdown, game over. And it feels so wrong that a game that epic should be left up to chance and that Josh uh, Allen does not get a chance to respond. But he was asked about the NFL overtime rules. We're all complaining about it today. Josh Allen taking the high road. He said the rules are what they are. I can't complain about that because if it was the other way around, we'd be celebrating too. It is what it is at this point. We just didn't make enough plays tonight. He's classier than I would be. I would be whining and complaining. And by the way, you can't blame the Chiefs because they tried to get the rule changed a few years ago when the same thing happened to them against New England and they wound up losing the AFC Championship game. But it is pretty stupid. And especially now because it's such an offensive game and it's such a quarterback-driven game. Regardless, even if you're a defensive team, you should have the opportunity to have your best unit on the field. Like, if you spend all of your money on your offense and no money on your defense, we want to see your offense, right? Mm -hmm. And conversely, if it's the Ravens, the Ravens want their defense on the field. So I don't think that the league has really thought this through. I know they're worried about player safety and the amount of plays that players are playing but in the scheme of things if they wind up playing 17 more plays because the rules are equitable I don't think that's unreasonable and I don't think any player at all would complain about it it just felt like both quarterbacks were playing absolutely perfectly and both defenses had to be gas after that final two minutes so it just I don't know about you but as soon as you saw Kansas City won you're like that game over they're going to score on the first drive it's going to be anticlimactic and for a game that had so much drama and so much tension it just felt like such an, an unfulfilling way for it to end and it could have been even more dramatic what if Allen takes him down to the five-yard line and throws an interception like Matthew Stafford threw at the end of the 49ers-Rams game, the last time those two teams played. There could have even been more drama Mm -hmm. than there was last night. And just to remind everyone, the drama that we did see, the last two minutes of regulation in that game, there were three lead changes and a tie, 25 points scored in the last two minutes, and Allen and Mahomes combined for three touchdown passes and 221 passing yards in two minutes. Amazing. Gosh, I feel like we're all still coming down from that one. And finally, Randy, a lot of talk about different quarterbacks and their future after they were bounced from the playoff, namely Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. But there's another questionable future decision that needs to be made that was brought up this weekend. So the New Orleans Saints, they have had their season over for a while, but a lot of people are wondering about Sean Payton and if he's coming back. According to NFL Network, sources say that Sean Payton, who has three years left on his contract, has not committed to returning Mm. for another season in New Orleans. He hasn't informed the organization that he's definitely going to return or not and nfl.com tried to reach him those requests went unreturned but it's kind of interesting because i did not expect that to be part of our offseason will he or won't he return conversation and i wonder if he just wants to be traded or if he's done coaching been a head coach since 2006 i would get it if he was just done and he he sees what life is like with drew Brees and says i don't want to live that life but i also wonder maybe there's Maybe the Dallas Cowboys, who he came from and lives in Dallas, maybe the Cowboys want to give up a number one choice for him. And he wants to force his way out of there, like Belichick did uh, when he was no longer the coach of the NYJ. Yeah, maybe just a change of scenery is something he wants. I don't know, but I would imagine if he does hit the free agent market, there will be a lot of teams giving his agent a call. Yeah, I I wonder how many teams would make a trade for him, though. You think there's, uh, aside from Dallas, I could see them doing it. If you were the Jets, would you do it? 
No, not at, not at this point. Because Salah's only been there for a year. If you're the Giants, do you do it? Yeah, I really consider it if I'm the Giants. Definitely. I know that a lot of people like Robert Salah, but if I'm the Jets and I have a chance to acquire someone like Sean Payton... I mean, it's the yeah. it's, a, it's a franchise that that needs to turn things around. Maybe Salah's the guy, but I don't have the utmost confidence in him. But if you're the Giants and you could give up a, a number one next year, and then for Peyton, and then go spend your two number ones this year on Russell Wilson, how about this one? Then you got something. What if you're Miami? What if you're? That'd the, be a great move on the part of the Dolphins. A great move. You need the stability. And you've got. <laughs> the cachet in terms of draft choices to go make a move like that. And he's worked with Drew Brees. If two is going to be your guy, yep. having Sean Payton come in, I mean, that would be an awesome landing spot. What about Chicago? Yes, Illinois guy, Chicago guy. That makes sense, too. Justin Fields. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of options for yeah. him. Yeah, So, but you got to find that team that's willing to make the move for him. I think that's something that he and his agent have to set up. True. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Coming up next, Nick Wagner covered yesterday's 49ers-Bucks game. He covers every 49ers game, and he'll be in L.A. on Sunday. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. One of our all-time favorite people here at Carriker and Smallman is the NFL Nation reporter at ESPN.com, Nick Wagner. He covers the 49ers. He used to cover the Rams here in St. Louis, but then he moved to the good side. And uh, it's great to have him with us on the Bar and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. We've always loved you. And, of course, we, we were uh, with you. We were uh, – Nick, I don't know if you've ever heard this. I think that when we were covering the Rams, we had Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> go on, go I, on. I, I think that we started to sympathize with our captors. We were there in that building, and uh, we, we just didn't know better. And I, I think we were just stuck in the mud, as it were. You must see, feel so refreshed. You never saw, never covered playoff games here in St. Louis. It must be so cool to cover the 49ers the way things are going. Well, I, I will give you a slight correction. I did cover a couple of playoff games. My very, very first year covering the Rams, the 8-8 eight eight Rams, those, okay. that, mighty, that mighty 2004 team that snuck into the playoffs, somehow won a playoff game in Atlanta and then just got absolutely blistered by Michael Vick and company in Atlanta. And then I went just a, you know, just a scant, like, 16 years until my next playoff appearance uh, and, and got to see the 49ers search the Super Bowl. But yeah, I have, I have witnessed uh, over more than double now playoff games just in the last three years than I did in, in you know, 16 years before that. So uh, certainly more fun to be doing it and, and to be able to check off uh, Lambo in January on the, on the old, uh, you know, sports coverage bucket list was, was a fun thing to do this weekend for sure. Well, Nick, let's talk about Jimmy Garoppolo, a guy who the narrative around him was that he was good, not great, that the 49ers drafted his replacement in Trey Lance and didn't know exactly what his future was going to be, has continued to get it done. They have that overtime win versus the Rams to close out the season. Then he beats Dallas, he beats Green Bay, and he does all of it while leading the team with a injured thumb and an injured shoulder. How has the narrative around Jimmy Garoppolo changed over this stretch of games? Yeah, it's interesting, Michelle, because I don't know that it's changed that much. You know, I, I, people are just so dug in on this, right? Um, and and people, fans in St. Louis can remember what it was like when, uh, you know, Kurt Warner went through a thing with his thumb. And, you know, the Mark, then Mark Bulger kind of emerged and people were taking sides and, you know, it was, it was a big mess. And there's, there's some of that going on. But, but here's where I think people have maybe come around to 
understanding what Jimmy Garoppolo is. You know, there's always this debate on whether quarterback wins is actually a stat. Like, should a quarterback get credit for the, for the wins he gets? But we've reached a point with Jimmy Garoppolo where the numbers are just so dramatically different when he starts versus when somebody else starts for the 49ers that you have no choice but to acknowledge there's got to be something to it. And what I think it is, and I think, and I still think Jimmy Garoppolo is a fine quarterback. He's a middle-of-the-road NFL quarterback, starting quarterback. And that's fine because there's, what, four or five quarterbacks in the league who are truly elevating the players around them. And everyone else kind of needs things around them to be good. Well, Garoppolo falls into that second category, but he's such a leader. He's handled everything this, this year so well that I think you see his teammates rallying around him. They, they really believe in him. And when it comes time to, to make plays at the end of games, like you saw in week 18 against the Rams, he got the job done. And, and even the other night, he did not play well against the Packers. He had some bad luck early in the game where the, the Niners had some traps and they weren't exactly helping him out. But when they needed that drive at the end to get, the, to get into field goal range and kick the game winner, he was able to pull it off. So I think that's kind of where it has shifted in, in some sense that I think people, even if they don't like Jimmy Garoppolo and they're looking forward to the Trey Lance era, they can appreciate what Garoppolo has done and the way that he's kind of become a fulcrum and a guy that team that the team rallies around and has gotten them to the NFC Championship game for the second time in three years now. Do you think with all that being said, Nick, that it's changed the way internally the 49ers may view the quarterback situation in the future? Not yet. Um, you know, I talked to some people there last week and then the week before that, and, and this topic has, has come up a lot. And, and I think what's happening is, you know, I, I think if Jimmy Garoppolo goes out and plays really well this weekend and they get back to the Super Bowl, and, and if they win the Super Bowl, then I think that conversation maybe becomes a little bit more interesting in terms of whether he stays or, or they try to keep him around and figure out a way to, to go another year with him. But I always laugh, Michelle, because I've heard people nationally say, well, what what are the Niners going to do if Jimmy Garoppolo wins the Super Bowl? It's like, I think the Niners would be okay with that. Like, <laughs> that's the best problem you could possibly have. So uh, I, I think, you know, if it comes to that, the Niners, yeah, it would be a tough decision, but they'd be more than happy to be in that position where they have a Super Bowl winning quarterback and a, and a young rookie that they're really excited about. But at least for right now, I think the Niners are still viewing this. And, and Jimmy Garoppolo himself has been very honest about this, that he's viewing this as kind of the last ride. And the, the great thing for both parties is, is the, the further they go into the playoffs, the better Jimmy Garoppolo's trade value is going to be, which the Niners are, would certainly be happy about. And also the more value Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have in, the, in, in terms of getting in his next contract, which if he does get traded, I think that contract would come along with that. So uh, it's a win-win for kind of all parties. And, and again, if, if they do win the Super Bowl, absolutely a problem the Niners would sign up for 10 times out of 10. Our friend Nick Wagner covers the 49ers for ESPN.com. And Nick, in this six-game winning streak for the 49ers over Los Angeles, the scores have been all over the place, 20 to 7-34-31, 24-16, 23-20, 31-10 earlier this year, 27-24 in overtime. Has there been a defining characteristic, characteristic in these games, a, a common denominator with the way the Niners play against the Rams that allows them to beat them all the time? I think, I think it comes down to this, and this is not to say that the Rams don't have this, it's just more that the Niners have it more, is, is a physicality and a toughness. Um, and that's, that's both the physical and the mental toughness that the 49ers seem to have kind of ingrained in them. And I actually just wrote about it this morning that I think it's the Niners, at least this year for sure, it's their defining trait, uh, their ability that no matter what happens to them, uh, they seem to just come in. I called it a sort of football rope-a-dope, you know, the, the, old, the old Mike Tyson line, you know, everybody's got to play until you get punched in the mouth. Well, the 49ers' plan seems to be to get punched in the mouth 
and then come back swinging as hard as they can. And, and that's kind of who they've been. And, and I think against the Rams, they feel like they have an edge in that way where, uh, you know, the Rams can come out and do what they did and put up a 17-point lead, but the 49ers aren't, aren't going to go away. And, and that's that to me, I think the 49ers even believe that that is their advantage against the Rams, that they're just tougher than, than the opponent. And, uh, you know, I know after that, that game or before that game and in Week 18, George Kittle said it was going to be a body bag game. And the Rams were using that as motivation, like he was saying that, oh, you know, the, the you know the Rams aren't tough and they can't do that. He was just saying we think we're tougher than everybody, you know. That, that's and that's and that's kind of how they're built. And, and so um, I think that is the one maybe through line between those six games. But as you guys know, you know, you can you can spin a a, a wheel, a roulette wheel, you know, a hundred times, and every one of those hundred times, the chances of it turning up red or black are the same. So it doesn't matter what happened the times before that. It's still going to come down to the things that these games always come down to, which is turnovers and third downs and red zone and all those types of things. So uh, I think the 49ers do have a little bit of an edge. I think there's probably a little bit of a mental edge that goes with the winning streak. Uh, but certainly the Rams are in a position where they're, they're going to do everything they can to, to change that in a game that has more stakes than any of those previous six. Last thing, Nick, one of my favorite things about the Niners, and I like a lot about what they are this year, but they lose D Ford, they lose Javon Kinlaw, and they still get after quarterbacks like nobody's business. But getting to Stafford is a little different with his release and obviously with his uh, receiver's ability to get open quickly. We, we saw it in the last game. Is that something that, because I haven't watched every 49er game, week to week, are they getting after quarterbacks? If they're not getting sacks, at least getting pressure? Yeah, this team is, uh, particularly over the last six or so weeks, uh, doing it better than anybody. And, and and what's fascinating, Randy, when you bring that up is, is Matthew Stafford is absolutely dynamite against the Blitz. So I think he's been better against the Blitz than any quarterback in the league this year, at least statistically. Something like 17 touchdowns and one interception when Blitz, his passer rating is off the charts. But 49ers don't blitz. They, they blitz the third fewest amount of times of any team in the league, and they trust their front four to get after the quarterback. It is it is the foundation of their team, and if you look at the resources that they've put into that position, whether it's defensive tackle or defensive end, it's first-round picks all over the line, huge investments, guys like Eric Armstead, D. Ford, who they've given a bunch of money to. Nick Bosa will certainly get paid here in the next year or two when it comes to that. So their whole thing is if they can get pressure with the front four, which they have, and which they certainly did against the Rams, in week 18, it allows them to disguise coverages and do a lot of other things with their back seven. And they're not going to do that. They will, you know, he'll, he'll, Miko Ryans will dial up the blitz every once in a while, but the fact that they do it so rarely makes it a lot harder for a guy like Matt Stafford, who's even, who's really, really good against the blitz to, to kind of figure that out and, and get it going. So yeah, that is another key. It's certainly the key to the game for, for the 49ers. It's what they want to do because cornerback is probably their weakest position, but a lot of that gets covered up if that front four gets a pass rush. And that's really what a lot of everything they do defensively is going to spin off of. Seems like the Bay Area has a few smart computer people. I'm guessing that San Francisco will find a way to get some some people into SoFi Stadium on Sunday. <laughs> Randy, I, I'm so amused by the whole, like, the, 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 the Rams are going to limit ticket sales to L.A. County. First of all, can, can I, I, I don't know how much time you have, but yeah, I, gotta, you, I, go I, ahead. I just, okay, yeah, so the, the whole idea that they're only going to sell tickets to people in, the, in L.A. counties or whatever is just silly in the first place because it implies that there's a whole bunch of NFC championship tickets that are going to be available to the general public, which we, which we know is already not the case. But the other thing is the 49ers have a ton of fans in Los Angeles. Let's not, let's not pretend like the 49ers fans all just flew down or drove down from San Francisco for that week 18 game, which to, in my opinion, it was probably at least 65% 
49ers fans at SoFi Stadium that week. And I say at least because I think that, that's being just a little bit generous. The other thing is, is most of the tickets that get sold for games like that are on the secondary market. I guarantee you StubHub and TickPick and Vivid Seats and all the other ticket places that I've never heard of don't have any such restrictions because guess what? They're trying to make money. So um, they, they can do what they want. And, and I, I certainly understand why they, why they want to at least try to limit it. But um, I don't think it's going to make much of a difference. I've seen 49ers fans take over week. Uh, I think it was week 16 in the 2019 season. They played in new Orleans. You remember that game it was a tremendous game. The Saints and 49ers down there. And the Saints have a great fan base. Uh, this is nothing like what, what the Rams are trying to build in L.A. right now. They have a great fan base. It was at least 50% 49ers fans. I'd never seen anything like it. Bourbon Street was just red all the, as far as the eye could see. Um, so if, if that can happen, I guarantee you for a game with the kind of stakes that this game has and as close as it is and as many 49ers fans as already live in Los Angeles, I have a feeling it is going to be quite, quite red on Sunday afternoon. Nick, great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. You got it, guys. Take care. See you. Nick Wagner, ESPN.com. Great job today by our producer engineer, Matt Rocchio, getting things rocking and rolling here. First thing, thank you, sir. Thank you guys so much. It was a blast. Can't wait to do it again. Yeah, we'll do it again tomorrow. Michelle, this was fun. It was. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. The Balloon Party with T-Mac is up next for all of us. Until tomorrow, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.